Lahayam again. Again. Lahayam. Merry Christmas. Awu. Awu. That was Thank the, you. The, that was Tim Allen welcoming you. <laughs> Hot off of Santa Claus 15. The, sorry, the Santa yeah, the, Claus. The, the, the Santa contingency. <laughs> the Santa retrial. Santa reborn. Um, <laughs> hi, everybody. Welcome to the what is this? The tenth or or eleventh? This has to be the eleventh. Oh, yeah, I meant to. We have we haven't discussed what we're going to yeah. name this one. Cause wait, what was the last one? It was. I know. I wanted to call it nine because right. like German is scary. Sure. But you. What did you? I you, think I said spine. Spine. That yeah. made more sense. Is this nine or? This is nine, 10. ten, or eleven. Okay, this is ten. So then, what what could ten be? Um, ten, ten Burton. That's, that's ten Burton, <laughs> the, sc- <laughs> the scariest director out there. Ten, 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 ten monkeys. No, how many monkeys are no, there? No, there's twelve monkeys. Twelve monkeys. Oh, uh, in two years, get ready. <laughs> <laughs> we might have to come back to this. Yeah, yeah. Throughout the show, periodically, like at the most dramatic moment mm-hmm. in each story. Uh, how about? Sven? Sven Gooley. <laughs> what about uh, Slevin? Um, <laughs> Lucky number. We need to talk about Kevin. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Ke- well, no, Tenant. No, Tenant. 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 That's it. Yeah, tenant. we'll talk. Okay, Creepy Christmas Haunted Hanukkah Part The Tenant <laughs> starts right now. So welcome in to our 10th, 10th annual tenth, yeah. Creepy Christmas Haunted Hanukkah episode. This is Daniel uh, I'm going to do a, like, a Treehouse of Horror thing. Right, right. Daniel, script consultant, Zafrin. <laughs> uh, this is Greg name-pending Gonzalez. <laughs> Greg Hellbrooks. <laughs> and this is our annual Creepy Christmas Haunted Hanukkah episode where we talk about spooky stories around Los Angeles. Spooky, creepy the reason if, you know, our new listeners, we've got, yeah. uh, I don't know, maybe two million new listeners since the last episode. So after that hot dip dab episode <laughs> of the candiest dandy. Yeah. Ever since our dip dab video went viral because someone went trick or treating for marijuana. <laughs> we suddenly have two million followers on <laughs> LA Meekly. Yeah. Um, but for those who don't know, we started this show. Our 10th anniversary episode was last month, right. November. So we had started our, we had done our first episode in November, but we so desperately wanted to do a haunted episode, but it was no longer October, so we decided to do Creepy Christmas Haunted Hanukkahs every year right. for December, which harkens back to the Dickensian <laughs> days where you're supposed to tell scary ghost stories of Christmas's glories <laughs> of uh, Edward Gorey. <laughs> Extra snoring. <laughs> Extra um, um. Sven. Sven. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's what it keeps it, yeah. coming back to Sven. Yeah, it's going to have to be Sven. <laughs> I bet there's like a, a like an atrocious murder word right. that we're skipping over. Yeah, it's like uh, like serial killers all know this word. Yeah. Ten Bundy. Ten, no. Uh, no, that's Zodiac. Never mind. How many characters are in the Zodiac? <laughs> <laughs> How many victims does the Zodiac killer have? Okay, so I got a quick... You reminded me, because we were talking about spooky things. We, we were, were talking about Beetlejuice right before yes. this started. No, that we will we shall not say his name two more times yeah just to go give you a peek behind the curtain before every episode starts we're probably talking about beetlejuice <laughs> Most likely. Oh, no, that's two. <laughs> oh no I, I gotta say it one more time <laughs> it just feels so good on my tongue <laughs> yeah if if we're not talking about beetlejuice before we record right. one of these we're probably talking about frankenweenie <laughs> you know either the short you film or the we're <laughs> talking about vincent 
(laughs) (laughs) So in the last episode, I had put a call to action for anybody who had gone to Rotten Apple, the Halloween haunt in Burbank when they went because there was a room in their maze, their haunted Halloween maze, where he who shall not be named was in it. And he said in it, anybody want a Zagnut? So I was wondering if you said said name three times. Yes. Would you get a Zagnut? But I was too afraid to say it because I didn't want him to make fun of me in right. front of Melissa. He would have. Yeah. I can't be emasculated in front of my bride. Yeah. Of Frankenstein. <laughs> Her hair is a little bit white in all the right places, meaning on the sides. None of that back of the head stuff where you're like, you're not bright of Frankenstein, you're just old. I love my cone-headed wife. <laughs> what can I say? Uh, so I wanted anybody who had gone to it to say the name. Say the name three times and tell me if you got a Zagnut. And our friend Nadav did go. Yeah, good friend Nadav. He said the name three times. He did not get a Zagnut. Look at that. Okay. Yeah. So I regret nothing. I bet the the uh, the person who shall not be named leaned into our good friend Adav and said, "You're here because meekly I won't give you a Zagnut. <laughs> I don't play for pennies. It, it, I don't play like, for an audience. It's like with Santa Claus, you truly have to believe in him to show up. Okay, <laughs> so if you're just saying my name just to say my name, you don't get a Zagnut. Wait, I know what you're onto. Yeah, you're a Mike TV. You're Farouk Assault. <laughs> These cynical Gen Z TikTok <laughs> kids just come in here thinking you can say, "I won't. Well, you almost got you me. Almost got it. Yeah." TikTok, TikTok, TikTok. <laughs> oh no, China's listening now. Beetle breakfast, beetle <laughs> Bre- orange. Breakfast with the Beatles, breakfast <laughs> with the Beatles, breakfast with the Beatles. And then we said that three times and a new Beatles song came out. Yeah, so. look at that. We, yeah. we, we summoned it. Yeah. But you know what else we summoned? <laughs> a brand new Patreon <gasps> supporter who Is we want right? to welcome in after this. Uh, Zagnut takes first priority. Yes. But you, who shall, shall be named. Name them three times. Let's see if they can pop up in this apartment right now. Well, it's kind of hard because we are welcoming in, and you and I were both confused by this when this person joined us, but we are proud to welcome as our newest Patreon patron, Die Cut Hollow Foil number zero. Oh, right. You, I do remember that now that you brought it up. Yeah. He's straight from Jabba's Palace. <laughs> I'm so happy to welcome one of Elon Musk's children. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I didn't mention he's giving us $5 million <laughs> a month. It's stock in X, though. Yeah. Is that okay? Is that going to last for a long time? We get five stocks of X (laughs) from him each month. And, you know, I think he's going to turn it around. I think he's going to turn it around. So what? Only two of the biggest advertisers have left the company. I think I feel like anti-Semitism is going to really flip and people are going to want it. They're going to really buy low, sell high. (laughs) (laughs) That's the trick. Buy low, Semitism high. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, uh, yeah, welcome in Die Cut Hollow Foil number zero. Welcome. Or should I say 011111100001 Die Cut Hollow Foil number zero. That seems like what we would have to call a certain uh, poltergeist um, <laughs> if, you know, if we didn't want them to become that poltergeist. Tim Burton original creation number four. Number four, yeah. But yeah, so if you, you too can join us and have your name read on, pa- on, on Patreon, Ray, name read on LA Meekly, which is the show you're listening yeah, to. Yeah, hi, welcome. <laughs> Hi. Uh, you must if, be very confused. If you go to patreon.com slash Meekly, you can join us. And for $5 a month, we will send you a handwritten postcard every single month from us. From us. And when you join on the $5 level or just the $1 level of general support, you get a free LA Meekly sticker. Sticker. Put that anywhere. Die cut hollow foil number zero. I mean, 
that's his bread and butter. I'm gonna love writing that on postcard. Their bread and butter. I yeah. don't. I don't know how die cut holofoil number zero identifies. No clue. Except as number zero. Yeah. And there is no gender. There is just die have cut. a little self esteem. <laughs> Be number one. You're die cut holofoil number one to us. Unless it's the kind of thing like you, uh, anything times zero zero. Maybe it's that kind of thing. That's true. You are the. You are the, the alpha. You are the omega. <laughs> you are die cut holofoil number zero. Okay. So now. Hi. It's time to once again dip into the last month where we talk oh, about right. something we did in the past month. We do do that, don't we? <laughs> um, I went to the reopening of the Egyptian, grand opening of the Egyptian, which turns out people had gone to for two days before the grand opening, which is great. Uh, <laughs> well, but wait a minute. Wasn't last month your thing that you're going to the grand opening of the Egyptian? I don't think it was. Okay. What was your thing last month? Let's, talk, let's go two months back. Yeah, 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 what what have you been up to in the last two months? <laughs> well, then I, if that was, then I went. Um, and it's beautiful. It's absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, you showed me pictures and I made sure you confirmed that the scarab beetle is still there. Yeah, this, yeah, yeah. You needed photo. You didn't believe me. You needed a photo. And yeah. then, it was isn't rendered it's not it's not deep fake um <laughs> yeah yeah it's, it's absolutely gorgeous we went for the second showing of the killer so i didn't get to see david fincher do a q a which is fine a um, kill and a kill and a but the candy comes in egyptian boxes like the boxes for the egyptian theater like it's almost like what? their brand or something i don't know they sell egyptian branded candy. no no the box is just like it, it has like a mo- like a design motif from the building itself so like they said the egyptian theater sells like it seems like their own candy wait a minute so you're telling me you can get a box of junior mints and it has like a guy going like this yeah yeah engraved on it (laughs) no stupid the box itself uh although shaped like a junior the box the box that is from the egyptian theater it's uh, not like junior what do you mean a box of what candy but how do they get the candy in it they like they make their own i believe they make their own candy they make their own candy i have the feeling i didn't you know you're asking more questions than i even thought about (laughs) It might be like a nameless candy that they just put into a box that is okay. from the Egyptian theater. Okay. It's not it, like a... Is it Junior Mints, though? I didn't have any. I just oh, saw it. My coworker no, who I went with had some. It's not Junior Mints. It's like the 17th Mints, because all of the pharaohs were like Ramses the 17th. Right, right, right. It's seven. firstborn Mints. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but the, the theater is absolutely beautiful. Whatever Netflix... Like, everybody was poo-pooing Netflix, but now that I saw it, I'm like, well, Netflix, for giving all the money out <laughs> Uh, a representative came up and was announcing stuff in the future and he read like a list of stuff that Netflix in is doing. In the future. In the future. Candies will be printed with hieroglyphics. Uh, Slyphics, all, Slyphics. <laughs> all cats will be gray. Um, <laughs> cats will rule all of us. <laughs> and they won't like it very much. <laughs> he read a, a roster of things coming up for Netflix and it was like crickets and then it's like, well, the uh, on the other side, the American Cinematheque is going to be playing. He just said like a random movie title on people. To f- uh, there's a new episode of Coco Melon we're going to be showing. It was like VE day. Like it was just like kissing in the middle of the aisle and the nurse and the guy or whatever. People throwing their Egyptian branded candy <laughs> in the air, whatever that means. <laughs> Shooting it like they're um, Yosemite Sam. Yeah, that's what I did. And then I failed to get a seat at Musso and Frank's, which is what me and my coworker mm. wanted to do. And then him and I went to the Star Wars bar and said, and it was miserable. <laughs> that's Absolutely still miserable. around? Yeah, I thought, oh, well... Is the place that's designed after he who shall not be named also still there i was actually looking for it and i couldn't find it so maybe huh. not. um did I, you try saying its name three times that i could have gotten in if i had said it three times or if i drew like a, a happy door hour, happy hour happy hour yeah if i drew a door on the side of a building i'm sure it would have opened up and i would have went to that bar <laughs> that i didn't even like in the first place and we tried to go to that speakeasy too uh, and i was trying to show off to my coworker, hey yeah guess yeah the one that was out. in like that house that we went to yeah that was a weird place, wasn't it? It was a little bit, yeah. 
Yeah. I don't know where that was. I like, I still don't understand where I was when we went there. But so the Star Wars bar is still there and it was so crowded at Musso and Frank's. That- yeah. It was because of probably the Egyptian is like, you oh, know, catacorner right. to it. So everybody who, you know, before or after a show went there, everybody had like jackal ears when you yeah, were Yeah. They all had jackal ears. They were uh, standing like hieroglyphics, <laughs> the whole thing. They were getting, um, God, what's it called when you get your brains pulled out of your nose? <laughs> they were getting um, uh, mummified. Uh, yeah. Mummified. Sure. That's a shorthand <laughs> for it. That's a phrase. Um, like getting plastered. I got, I got, <laughs> I got, I got mummified, mummified this weekend and I got to drink a lot of water now. <laughs> My urine tastes weird. I went to Musso and Frank's and on, uh, all I got was this. No, that doesn't work. <laughs> Lobotomy. Go ahead. Um, what did you do this month? Well, you are, that was the oldest man thing you've ever done is to, before you answer a question, you took a long sip of warm coffee. Let me just whittle this toothpick down from this great oak tr- from this uh, branch of general sherman and then <laughs> let me just uh take a bite out of this uh, apple i've been tossing in the air <laughs> Ooh, a worm <laughs> um we went to a place that you and i or you and melissa yeah weren't you there <laughs> me and my bride you yeah <laughs> um first bride <laughs> the bride of frankenstein and the the side piece of frankenstein <laughs> Renfield of the... Uh, uh, <laughs> the Renfield of Frankenstein. Yeah, the Renfield of Frankenstein, yeah. So we went to a place that I've always wanted to go to, but never did. I think you've been here, but it was Bergamot Station. Oh, yeah, I've been to Bergamot Station. It Bergamot. I, said, I thought it was Bergamot. Let me double check. I'm it pretty sure be it's Bergamot. Bergamot. It might be. Because it's I say everything wrong. Spice. <laughs> Whatever you think it is, it's... It's probably different. Yeah, it's take out one letter and we're yeah, probably, it's probably there. Yeah, it's Netflix. <laughs> Did you watch the thing on Netflix? Did you go to Muss and Frank? <laughs> Muss and Frack? It's bergamot. Okay, bergamot. Because that's the that's the like herb or tea leaf or something that's in Earl Grey tea that makes it taste like Fruit Loops to me. Oh, okay. Yeah, we went there, and for those who don't know, it's like a bunch of different art galleries mm-hmm. that you can just go in and for free. Most importantly, yeah, I did demand where is my girl Grey tea at each one, and <laughs> mm-hmm. they didn't know what I was talking about. But uh-huh. you, you go through each one, and it's just art. It's different artists. You can buy it if you want. Yeah, about a few. You know, I mean, what Not what is forty thousand dollars to me? <laughs> After that TikTok blew up, but yeah, if we it was fun. We went to good. a few different ones. We went into because one of them is like the auction house or like the leftovers of what didn't sell at auction, and they had a Mark Chagall and two Andy Warhols oh for sale. God, really? And it, the price wasn't listed. Yeah. So, but if you're gonna ask, if you have to ask. Yeah. Uh, if you have to ask, we'll tell you and you'll have to buy it. <laughs> yeah. We'll be saying the number for so long <laughs> that you will, in the amount of time yeah. it takes for me to finish saying the number, <laughs> the digits out loud. We ran out of wall space yeah. to write how much this costs. <laughs> the price itself became its own piece of art <laughs> and people got confused. So we just, we, we just ju- took it we off. We just took it off. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there was stuff that, you know, if I had a lot of money, I would have bought several things because there's some really cool stuff there on display from artists who I have no idea who they were. That's even better. Yeah. I like that. I, I Something like Piss Costco or something. <laughs> I don't know. There was boobs everywhere. Triangle eyes. It was hot. It, 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 uh, <laughs> you know, I got what I needed. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't have to buy it. Why buy the Picasso when you get the triangle boobs for free? Am I right? <laughs> but yeah, that's where I was. It, it's fun. It's free. It's a good place to go to. It's kind of weird to get to because it's like right around along the expo line or whatever that yeah. line is called. Is it, In, it's, is it Venice or Santa Monica? It's, it's like Santa Monica. Okay. It's not quite Venice because it's literally right along the expo, whatever that rail line is that goes to right. the beach. Uh, beach, to the prom, not promenade, the pier. That's the, pier. the word I'm looking yeah. for. They wouldn't allow 
public transportation in Venice. <laughs> Come on. Unless it's a gondola. Unless it's a, a sheriff's department van taking people to jail. Yeah, that, yeah that's the only public transportation yeah. you're going to get. <laughs> that and the marijuana police still <laughs> arresting people. Okay. Yeah. So let's get into this month. Okay. Into our spooky. Oh, but before we get into the spooky, oh, yeah. set, the, set the mood. As always, we ignite a crackling fire to really get things cozy while we tell these scary ghost stories of Edward Gorey of long, long ago. Yeah. So let's start the flame. Let me just put a bunch of uh, motor oil <laughs> on these old newspapers. Let me just line this chimney with uh, gunpowder real quick. <laughs> I've got a bunch of vodka glasses, about <laughs> vodka bottles. Yeah. I'm just going to throw them in the fireplace yeah, yeah. real quick. And then let's just start it. Oh, nice. Cozy. That's, I didn't even want these eyebrows anymore. <laughs> I feel my face feels 10 pounds lighter now that everything's singed off. I can commit crimes because I burnt my fingertips off just being <laughs> that close to it. I suddenly became a real life blue man group person. <laughs> so in this episode, we are going to give some scary stories, yes. but I felt it was probably necessary to give a disclaimer at yes. the beginning of this one because there's a lot of stuff that happens in mine that might not be appropriate for children mine as well there's a lot of there's some uh, talk of suicide a lot of death death suicide there's abuse there's a lot of i got it all in this one <laughs> yeah but i mean death you know what kid doesn't love a little bit of death but like bit. the other stuff is uh maybe not appropriate so sure uh, listen at your own discretion and for adults who don't want to hear that yeah listen at your own discretion and now i'll throw that note into the fireplace with the horse <laughs> I wrote it on Mr. Ed sorry Mr. Ed but you're Mr. Dead now <laughs> so yeah we both picked two different places to focus on yes. and the stories within these places so Greg you are going to go first and please scare me because uh, I told you I was doing research for this yeah. like really late into the night and I uh, this might have happened more than once but only one time I remember I woke up like <laughs> Oh my god after doing research on on my stories you're a big coward you know, I, i'm a big man i'm a guy you know like a guy's guy yeah i only wet the bed yeah i only wet the bed when <laughs> when i drink too much water at night i'm too tired to get up i knowingly pee the bed I, I purposely for sake of ease ease comfort yeah uh, comfort. which is number one and the smell uh, that's why I, that's what i love most i love about it just it. marinating when you're in i've been talking about a building that i honestly have been aware of for a very long time and have not even read a single sentence about before. <laughs> I just knew where it was. I'm going to be talking about the Alexandria Hotel in downtown LA. I think the reason is because a lot of those hotels down, downstairs, downstairs uh, yeah. uh, you know, downstairs to the big man upstairs, <laughs> the mayor, down who's a woman. Yeah, who's a woman. <laughs> the mayor was a woman. But those get so overshadowed by the Cecil Hotel yes, they do. that it's hard for anybody else to focus on these other ones. Yeah. But we've already done the Cecil. And uh, nothing else to say about it. Built on 5th and Spring in downtown LA in 1905, this eight-story building and its 12-story annex are one of the oldest standing buildings in Los Angeles and also one of the most haunted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I forgot that they have a second location. Yeah. That's kind of weird, right? It is kind of weird. The, Spooky. The, what I was going to say when you were talking about your story scaring you, I have a, a weird fact in mind that it is so unsettling. And it's not even a spooky, scary thing. It's just like, I'll just have to get to it. You'll, I feel like you'll know it when you hear yeah. it. Yeah. Well, when the goose bump, when the goose flesh takes me, I'll yes. know. Long abandoned when glamour went even wester, 
The rooms of the Alexandria within the confines of the old Broadway theater district within downtown Los Angeles, downtown Los Angeles, downtown Los Angeles are a Russian doll of haunts. Okay. The Alexandria hotel was named after star because they star. What's her name? Big haired Muppet like lady with a raspy voice. Natasha Leone. Natasha Leone. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Muppet lady. Jesus. Poker face herself. The titular poker face. Natasha Leone. The Leon. slum of Beverly Hill herself. <laughs> Spokesperson for Gap or whatever she's doing. <laughs> Old Navy, I think. The Alexandria Hotel was named after the owner of the hotel, Harry Alexander, who I could only find one fact about. He owned the Alexandria Hotel. He was a ghost. <laughs> <laughs> what a no bit. Um, <laughs> it was designed by John Parkinson, father to many of our landmarks, along with his son, Donald, and partner, Edward Bergstrom. The group also designed City Hall, Union Station, the Coliseum, some of the buildings at USC, wow. Bullock's Wilshire, and the Rosalind, which is also in downtown. Wow. Yeah. That's a... Uh, Heavy hitter. Can I steal that resume? Yeah. It'll look good on a resume if yeah. you said you've, you helped build... You yeah, designed City designed, Hall. <laughs> as a PP and balls. Uh, I went... CSUN 2006 to 2011 designed the USC Coliseum. Yeah. Not a big deal. Uh, president. <laughs> President of Central America and also This America. This America. <laughs> Host of This American Life. Yeah. <laughs> I also invented radio, did I tell you? <laughs> Parkinson arrived in Los Angeles from Seattle in 1894 and got right to work designing the steel-framed Homer Laughlin Building, which now houses the Grand Central Market on right. Broadway, and the Continental Building, which he built in 1902, which was Ali's first, like, what is called Skyscraper, which is on right. Spring and Fourth. It was like 10 feet tall. Yeah, it was, it was literally like three, four. Wow. Feet. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Ask God how it looks from up there. <laughs> and I thought the Tower of Babel would never be built. <laughs> this was, this was uh, the mayor talking this was of the mayor, Los Angeles. Yeah. It was Mr. Ed. Um, <laughs> <laughs> their third building in Los Angeles would be the Alexandria Hotel, which at the time, 1905, 1906, was scaring the crap out well, of these dogs. That was very scary the, to me oh, to hear. <laughs> Mark, Mark. <laughs> 1905, 1906, the Alexandria was the most luxurious hotel in Los Angeles. Wow. Designed by Parkinson and Parkinson, I believe that's the name of the uh, group. The site Parkinson, is, Parkinson, and, and, Parkinson. and he who shall not be named. <laughs> the site itself was developed by a real estate group called Billicky Rowan Fireproof Building Company. The owner, AC, I think it's Billicky, was a millionaire who later died on the uh, Lusitania. Oh, that's another thing we were talking about before yeah, the show that, started. That's, that's why I was on the tip of my tongue. Huh, that's strange. Strange. Because you thought my grandma died on the Lusitania. But it, was, <laughs> but it turns out she was on a different boat and didn't die. <laughs> no, she survived the Lusitania. Yes, she survived the Lusitania and swam straight onto the Titanic. <laughs> yeah, and then she she lifted both boats out of the ocean on her shoulders. Yeah. And then she flew in time. She, she flew around the earth backwards and saved Lois Lane. That's my grandma. What can I no, say? No big deal. I just, you know, I'm made from a better like DNA. Um, <laughs> it's not from, the, I'm, I'm not of this world. <laughs> so the Alexandria, 160 tons of construction still was used. And that would include two incredibly modern features. The Alexandria would be fireproof, rare in Los Angeles and earthquake proof. Huh. It's still standing, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yes. Sure. I haven't been there in a minute. Uh, the article announcing the construction started also pointed out that it would have a modern feature. Newer buildings were trying out called fire escapes despite Ooh. quote quote unquote despite the fact that the building is absolutely fireproof they still had fire escapes because the city made us it's for the fire to escape <laughs> because it's not welcome if it's there. chasing you we want yeah. it yeah 
fire goes in there to be extinguished by humans. Looking for a good night, um, a good stay in, in the city. As far as style, Parkinson went with a bow arts look, which featured brick and terracotta facade with large stone sculptures of griffins adorning the building, which I passed by the other day and I finally looked up. I'm like, oh, the griffins are right there. They're looking at me. They're are, beautiful. Are they, is that, uh, maybe I'm thinking of something else, but there's some buildings that like they didn't bother. Maybe this was just in Chicago, but like they didn't bother putting the face on the like gargoyles oh, yeah, or whatever. I think it was Chicago. What? It, this Which happened in Chicago. There's, there's definitely one in Chicago, but like, because there's this big statue that has no face because they're like, well, there's never going to be a building as tall as this to notice. Hubris. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the hubris. <laughs> what Greek god suffered from hubris? Uh, is that Ed- not Oedipus? Um, is that Oedipus? I think it was the, the Greek god that suffers from hubris. I think it was. All of them. Um, Mr. Ed? It might was have it? been Mr. Ed. Mr. Dead. <laughs> yeah. Spooky season. R.I.P. Which... Mr. Dead. <laughs> the marble entrance to the hotel was it had massive marble columns reaching two stories connecting to the ceiling, which was decorated with gold leaf. They used fairy lamps and electric lights, not to brag, which were new, and then they lit the place. In the basement, there was a commissary and winery that would accommodate the Broadway theater crowd well past midnight. Hmm. They spent $2 million in 1906 building this. Uh, I think a million building it, another million furnishing it, which in 2023 is over $60 million. Uh, Yikes. uh, To rent a room, $100,000. And they made their money back in a month and closed. (laughs) The end. There were 362 guest rooms and 500 guests could be accommodated in the eight-floor urban palace. Opening night, February 10th, 1906, more than 5,000 visitors came to see the new luxurious hotel when the doors opened to the public. I love that. I love that back in those days, it was like, like that's what people did. Yeah. Like there's a barn open. Like there's a, there's yeah. a, this building has an escalator. Earl bought a new cow. <laughs> I know what we're doing this weekend. Get dressed up. <laughs> Find a babysitter. <laughs> the building, it was all inspiring for 1906. Even, even now, I mean, it still is like, it's still astounding. The photos even I've seen recently, although kind of mostly run down and kind of dark. It's still like, wow, they built this in 1906. <laughs> the manager of the Alexandria, S.J. Whitmore, said this weird quote. I, it has no place in here, but the people of this city have shown themselves to be as competent and rapid as any class of business people in the world. What? Okay. Is that a put down? <laughs> I thought they were really stupid. Is, but, is there uh, like a slash S at the end to <laughs> signify he's being sarcastic? Or what is he trying to say? In 1911, when the city ordinance passed allowing buildings to go past a certain height, the real estate group rushed out and bought the adjoining lot. Among the owners of the adjoining lot was the cursed Meyer Brewing Company. Oh, okay. Another, the, that's, um, that's another weird thing. Yeah, the big oak tree. The big oak tree, the cursed. Yeah, they yeah. crushed a, a bunch of beer. <laughs> it's cursed. And they and they, they smited a tree and they <laughs> live to regret it so at that site the adjoining lot they built a 12-story structure next door and was incorporated into the building and becoming the alexander annex and that included its most luxurious ballroom known as the palm court the crown jewel of the alexandria hotel it has its own wikipedia page and it's long it's like longer than the that's page for the hotel when you're a ballroom that's how you know you've made it that's how you, that's that's the top achievement yeah. there is it a palm or pong palm palm okay palm. so it's not like Boop, boop, boop. Yeah, you got a better pace than me. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I'm a little better at it than you. No, no, no. You gotta go fast. You gotta go fast. <laughs> when you get one beep, I get two beeps on you already, okay? Don't challenge me. <laughs> I know what's going on. The ballroom itself on its own is designated as a historic cultural monument. Like mm. the build, like the Alexandria Hotel is, but also right. separately the, the Palm Court is. I, I, have a, I think we might have looked at that for our wedding as a possible venue, but right. it was all, it was kind of like, 
I'm gonna make everybody. I'm gonna make my whole family go that close to the Cecil Hotel. Yeah, I'm gonna make my entire family go to Fifth and Spring. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Everyone, pile in here. Yeah, we'll shuttle you from the Cecil Hotel. We'll helicopter you in. Uh, it's been called several times the most beautiful room in Los Angeles. Uh, maybe at the time, more appropriately. Have they seen this room? Have they been to my apartment? Have they been to the new Vista? Um, to <laughs> skip ahead for a moment, during World War II, the Tiffany stained glass skylights of the Palm Court were covered with black paint. Just to, oh, beautiful, beautiful. That's what they, they were meant for. <laughs> so that's what this was missing. So this was. Did the they fi- fix it afterwards? No, they just left it. it. <laughs> they left it. So what? We like the vibe it gives. We, it is much better for a rave, which is what they did there <laughs> in the nineties. This was the finest hotel in Los Angeles at the time, and it drew in an elite patronage through the years, which included, if you remember. Max Sennett, who traveled west with Mary Pickford in Biograph Studios, he spent a lot of money renting a room here where he got, he just got wanted a full bath, so he stayed at the Alexandria. <laughs> our girl Mary Pickford and our stepdad Douglas Fairbanks stayed there, as, <laughs> as did the other United Artists, D.W. Griffith and Charlie Chaplin. Tom Mix once rode a horse into the lobby <laughs> onto the what's called million dollar carpet. It didn't cost a million dollars. It was called a million dollar carpet because a million dollars worth of business was done there every day. They said by the horse, by the horse. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'll make this a, well, how about we bump off a hundred thousand? If the horse passes gas, when you propose an idea, that's how you know it. You've made a million dollars. <laughs> Not horse. The mayor, <laughs> president Theodore, Teddy bear Roosevelt was, was hosted there as oh, was weird. Rudolph Valentino was a frequent king edward the eighth of england i believe wow. stayed there it's also what? been disputed that he stayed there oh, okay boxer jack dempsey and a young winston churchill that's not possible winston churchill was in los angeles in the early part of the 20th century yeah probably huh what was he doing here he was an extra in like a charlie chaplin movie yeah i think that's what he, he was doing he watched here. the great the great dictator and was like i gotta put an end to this he might be the kid from the kid i'm getting all my baldman <laughs> wait, confused. yeah wait was winston churchill cousin lurch or not cousin Lurch. Cousin, Lurch. cousin uh, Uncle Fester. Uncle Fester, <laughs> cousin it, Lurch. <laughs> you are. Was he Eddie Munster? You're better than this. Um, oh, it was almost a funny thing. It was, I said. Uh, it was I, it almost maybe it, it was funnier. It was funny. Uh, how what what an old man thing that was that you just said. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> Yeah, I tell you what. In my day, they didn't read off a paper. The words <laughs> just came to you. William Howard Taft delivered a speech on international peace at a banquet at the Alexandria. In 1912, the city leaders celebrated Harrison Gray Otis's birthday in the Palm uh. Court. Many Hollywood, Broadway, and entertainment parties were held in the Alexandria. It was said that the lobby was often full of fans and paparazzi waiting to see a star, the Gelson's market of its day. <laughs> the heyday of the Alexandria lasted a little over a decade. They say from 1911 to 1912. Well, what could have possibly happened in 1923 that would steal the Alexandria's thunder? Well, in 1923, not even a mile away, 0.8 mile away, maybe five or six blocks from Fifth and Spring was a brand new Biltmore Hotel, Millennium Mm. Biltmore Hotel in Fifth and Olive. And you think, well, the population in Los Angeles is growing as is tourism and Hollywood is exploding. So not only are our visitors here, but like some potential investors in town, surely there's enough room to accommodate everybody with two hotels no we're just all gonna stay at the biltmore no we don't really want it oh alexandria that's last decade we go to the biltmore now we got a discount if we all stay there we picked that one los angeles in the 20s as we said many many times before population boom become a modern city 
So hotels were popping up everywhere. The Cecil, the Roslyn, the Ambassador went up in the early 20s. And it was hard to compete with all these new hotels that were also gunning for the most luxurious hotel in town. Right. And the Cecil. Ooh. Ooh, get me there. And also people were starting to live here now. Houses in Hollywood and the the, the city was shifting everywhere. As we learned in the Broadway theater episode, the city was shifting in all different directions. Ten years ago. Yeah. Yeah. All this... And then the Depression hit, 1929. They had to sell their famous Turkish carpeting. Oh, not the Turkish carpeting, but missed, but the horse. The horse. Well, they, they, but, the what is the factory. horse going to do it on in? The boss of the glue factory now. <laughs> they sold the $100,000. It said silver service. I wonder if they mean silverware. Oh, there's a silver surfer. It's, they sold silver. Uh, uh, so, yeah, it uh, must be. Silver surfer is number one. Um, yeah. <laughs> it must be. Yeah, that's the silverware, silver, right? Yeah, I guess. I assume. I assume. $10,000? $100,000 worth of silverware? I guess I know where you sat on the Titanic. <laughs> And they let you eat in the boiler room. Um, <laughs> you had to eat off of wood. You had wood service in the boiler room. And they also sold off the $5,000 chandeliers. They even stripped the gold leaf covering off the mezzanine lobby and sold it for $50,000. All this to no avail. The Alexandria had to close its doors because of hard times in 1934. But it reopened in 1938 thanks to the new owner, movie producer Phil Goldstone. More on him later. Okay. Attendance dropped through the decades and it sold again in 1954, trading Art Deco glory for mid-century modern. And much of the basement and shopping areas were converted to parking lots of the old alleyway. The Palm Corp ballroom briefly held a boxing ring, which some had some appeal, but quickly wore its welcome. Ownership traded hands through the decades, each one trying in vain to reclaim Alexandria's glory to no success. One remodel in the early 70s was trying to restyle the Alexandria to Neo-Victorian, which sounds like promising, but it didn't last. The hotel hobbled along through all of this. In the early 60s, the Alexandria was listed in the Green Book as a safe place for black oh. people traveling through the country. Interesting. During that time, the hotel hosted performances by Dinah Washington, Ike and Tina Turner, Cassius Clay, and Aretha Franklin. Cassius Clay gave a performance? He gave he a performance. Uh, Watch me destroy this peewee, this little pipsqueak. Yeah. I'm going to beat him to a pole. Uh, Cassius Clay for lovers. <laughs> a civic rally for Malcolm X. <laughs> Cassius Clay beats the classics. <laughs> <laughs> a civic rally for Malcolm X was held at Alexandria in the early 60s. and it's, So this was like a black hotel for a while it, it seems. seems like it like if, if these are the, all the guests they're having i mean it, it could have been. i didn't read much more past this passage that's kind of near like well but that was like the 40s for the bronzeville when when little tokyo became bronzeville yes this is early 60s i feel like maybe the world's changing as much as it possibly can and that and a group of nearly 100 black and mexican american civic and community leaders met at the alexandria hotel to join in efforts to win the election of a mexican american to the assembly from imperial county i couldn't find out who that was though imperial county isn't that south is no i'm thinking of indio i don't know where imperial county is coruscant coruscant Uh. (laughs) <laughs> Through the 70s and 80s, downtown became a loveless industrial corporate swamp as urban <laughs> renewal projects removed Bunker Hill homes and downtown became all business, churches, right. and crime. Skid Row. Business in the front, business in the back. <laughs> well, we're saying it's long hair. <laughs> um, or no, show hair, sorry. Um, <laughs> Skid Row bled into all parts of rundown downtown area. Churches took over abandoned theaters and all right. the vacant old glory hotels became low-income housing. And that's kind of where the Alexandria is kind of maybe still at. In 1988, city officials called the Alexandria Hotel the worst drug trafficking spot in Los Angeles. <laughs> 600 arrests were made between 87 to 88, mostly for selling crack cocaine. And also, oh. a crack laboratory was uncovered on the hotel's 12th floor. <laughs> The hotel went through some years where it only had a dozen or so occupants, you know, uh, different family cool. members would just kind of 
own it and run it for a little bit and then we move out. Imagine being in a hotel that has 11 other guests in it. Weird. Spooky. You each get your own floor. Yeah, your own wing. (laughs) The hotel was slowly converted into an SRO hotel, single room occupancy housing and long-term low-income housing, which is good. A good use for a big building with a lot of rooms. But because of its proximity to Skid Row and the nature of downtown at the time, it wasn't getting many regular overnight guests. It changed hands again in 2014. Nobody made it through the night, right? When is this going to get spooky? Scare me. This isn't spooky. (laughs) Downtown becoming a ghost town through the 90s. A ghost town. And that is rent stabilized (laughs) ordinance. Whoa, single room occupancy. I can afford to live in the city. (laughs) Spirit room occupancy, right? (laughs) It changed hands again in 2014, landing on a developer named Isaac Shomoff, who managed to restore portions of the existing lobby as well as the pump court and second floor ballroom, the Rose Court. They now today look very nice and you could, like you said, rent it as a venue for a wedding or a party. The beautiful bar, The Wolves, is part of that restoration. Oh, that's where that is. Yeah. Okay. The Alexandria has been seen in many movies. Yo Boy 7, Dreamgirls, <laughs> Waterfront Elements, and Spider-Man 3. In 2005, the hotel was converted into rental units and you think, yay. But no, because two years later, 2007, the city and developers were sued in court for harassing and evicting over 100 low-income residents to get in those young, rich, white kids who wanted downtown lots. <laughs> that doesn't sound like Los Angeles. The city of Los Angeles? <laughs> a judge ordered the, this corrupt-ass city to help displaced tenants find housing, which means the city probably had them killed. Don't breathe in Los Angeles and you have a trust fund. In 2012, the hotel was converted into condos, but for who? Let's get back to the, the ghost. Let's get back. Is that what the housing cr- crisis yeah. is about? The, the ghost could afford to. Yeah. Live the only people, the only people who can live downtown are <laughs> the uh, uh, ghosts uh, of the people who <laughs> used to be able to afford who, who to died live. died trying there. to live here. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get back to the man who bought the building in the 30s, Phil Gladstone, and the story of what it's called. The Ghost Hotel. Oh, okay, here we're talking. Is that wait a minute? Is Ghost some sort of acronym for like yeah, good housing of All, uh, yeah, United? Oh wait, though, there's no U. Goose, goose. <laughs> I, yeah, the, I spell it in the British way. Stabilized tenants. That yeah, that yeah, actually okay. found me out. All Sorry, right, this is spooky. I guess. So to tell the story, we do actually have to go back to the original building of the hotel, 1905, when the hotel itself was being constructed. 1905, a man named William chick had a a livery stable next door to the site where they would build the alexandria he sold his stable and went to business with the developers so they're building the building he has a lot next door he sells it goes into the business with these guys so on the lot he owns he builds an addition to the hotel on his property that would be a seamless extension of the alexandria that could be accessed from the main hotel's corridors but there were no stairs or an elevator on chick's side of the property and he saw the building them as a unnecessary expense since they're already on their side of the building stairs and elevators let them pay for it (laughs) as we know the alexandria closed during the depression and opened in 1938 thanks to phil goldstone and william chick's son lee roadie was by that time the owner of this extension on the other side okay wow this is scary. Yeah. There was a scary, dispute. Scary how convoluted this is, yes. There was a dispute between Roddy, the son, and Goldstone when somebody from the main side of the hotel moved into the extension, Roddy's side, because Goldstone on this side was raising everyone's rent. So this guy okay. just goes to the extension right. side. But the fact that the annex was cheaper and he had no control over that side of the building infuriated Goldstone. So he further attacked him by sealing off the extension, making... <laughs> access to this side impossible and he did this on seven of the floors above ground only like the store funds 
could be moved. You could move around the storefronts between the two buildings, but above that on the hotel levels, you couldn't move around. You couldn't <laughs> okay. go between buildings anymore. The only way, remember, there's no stairs or escalator on that side of the building. <laughs> so you're just like entombed. Wait a minute. So who was... Nobody was on that side. I'm, I'm like, I don't know how they dealt with that. He had a, like, you would have had to move everybody out because you were just in your room with no way out except for the fire escape. <laughs> so- the only way onto that side involved a tall wooden ladder from the <laughs> hotel side, which led to a hatch on the roof where you could climb up and then down through the hatch and then enter through one person's window. Hey, if the rent's cheaper. Why not? It's <laughs> worth it. With all the groceries, just doing that to a two <laughs> yeah. grocery run. Make sure you get things that are throwable, so you can just toss them straight toss through them your up. window. And then you, you, I guess you'd have to go from floor to floor through the fire escape. Okay. This side and its thirty-five rooms are referred to as the ghost hotel, not necessarily haunted, just creepy and weird. As it's, it's just like all these rooms. Do are, people? Can you? Do, how, like, do people stay there? No, no, nobody stays there now. But because oh, that's weird, nobody stays there. They are rooms, and it's a time capsule to right. 30s LA because it. That's the, so weird. So I, I have no way. I want to see these rooms so yeah, bad. Yeah, crack it open. Crack like, uh, just, it, Al Capone's just, safe. Get, million, hang on, get Geraldo Rivera. We got to crack this yeah. thing open. I bet there's just like a mountain of rats in each room. There has to rats be. from the 40s. Yeah, rats from the 40s. They're just like smoking and they say racist things and they're like, it's normal. When I don't I, think we I should get involved in your, the war in Europe. That's what all the rats <laughs> are, have been saying for 80 years. Yeah, that's the, the that's the weird thing that... That's odd. More than the hauntings or the deaths, the fact that there's 35 rooms sealed off that it's a time capsule to the 30s is so unnerving to me. And that it was done, it, it's caused by such a petty dispute. It's so funny. Uh, it's so funny to me. <laughs> so let's... This is like if Lucy had a lot of money, if Lucy was a land developer. Yeah. Fred dies. Yeah, she takes, she takes over the Fred's building. job. And instead of putting tape down the middle of the room when her and Ricky are having fight, she just seals him off. I've got a cask of Amontillado, <laughs> Ethel. <laughs> <laughs> Ethel, come down. We have a new dress. I have a new hat. What's the old lady that lives above Mrs. The, Trumbull? Mrs. Trumbull. Mrs. Yeah. Mrs. Trumbull, Mrs. Trumbull was slowly sealed up <laughs> in her apartment alive. So let's talk about the deaths at the Alexandria Hotel. Okay, please. There are many deaths over the 118 years of the Alexandria's long life. Many more than I have listed here, and some are in strange clusters. Oh, weird. I got a majority of these by way of Craig Owen's book, Haunted by History, if you're curious about the good... uh, Former guest. Former guest on our show. on this show. Mm -hmm. We had an episode with him. He's a good friend. If you're curious about a good LA history book that involves ghosts and great photos, then check out Haunted by History. There was a labor dispute. This is like, according to him, as far back as I could track some of the first deaths, or maybe the first death. There was a labor dispute during the construction of the annex in 1911, which resulted in iron and other metal workers going on strike and picketing outside the Alexandria. In response, the LA City Council very gracefully and compassionately banned picketing very soon after. <laughs> They're going to say sealed them in their homes. <laughs> That's a great, like, for all the unions that are going to go on strike, the people who, like, strike metal. Yeah. Th- imagine the signs they can oh have. It would be so God. funny. I strike but I am also on strike. I, I strike, therefore I am on strike. I am breaking this welded bond between... Um, <laughs> oh, this is good. Keep this, going. Yeah, no, 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 no. Keep going. <laughs> Say everything you know about men's work. Um, and then also Sven for 10. It's really funny. It's, it's, it'll I make, swear it'll make it's sense funny. when you read it. Yeah. It's more of a written joke. <laughs> the Alexandria then built a... See, Alexandria, because the workers, the iron workers, are, and all the metal workers are striking. Also, Alexandria, bring it back to the Egyptian theater. You're right. Thank yeah. you. Sure. You're welcome. Sure. Um, the Alexandria <laughs> then built a 14-foot 
fence around the annex to keep the scabs safe from picketing workers. Please protect the scabs at Please, all costs. At all. They're, they're, uh, don't pick what would we scabs. do without scabs? Please don't pick at the scabs. On September 2nd, 1910, a non-union worker slash scab named Louis Jeffries, nephew of boxer Jim Jeffries, not that one, <laughs> was killed when a hoisting Derek collapsed and fell on him. Which Derek? A hoisting Derek. Derek Jeter? Jeter, yeah. <laughs> not that one? Derek Jeter killed the nephew of, <laughs> of Jim, Jim Jeffries. Jeffries. Okay. So that I might mean, be... Hey, this is, you know, this, this, might, this is what they were striking about. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. The next day, another non-union worker named Mark Berkowitz died when a defective... Not hoist, that one. Not that one. Died when a defective hoisting Derek caused him to fall off a second-story girder and into the basement of the annex. He died then. Oh. Around the time of these deaths. What a horrific death both to of these. fall from. Yeah, to be crushed by a girder and to fall off. There, into there, a there's basement. one thing scarier than falling off of a girder. It's being crushed by a girder. <laughs> of all the girder-related deaths, those are the two scariest <laughs> Definitely ones. top two. Yeah. Around the same time of these deaths, remember 1910, a worker found a bag of dynamite at the <laughs> annex. The bag belonged to a man named Albert Kennedy, a former miner, and he explained to the police on the scene that it was left as a practical joke, which they accepted. Ha ha ha. Not too long after. Light it. It's funny. Light it. Yeah. See, they're firecrackers. Not too long after that, October 1910. Do you remember what happens in October 1910? Is that when the LA Times building was bombed? Exploded thanks to 16 sticks of dynamite. Thanks to the McNamara brothers. So a month later, a giant building explodes in downtown. Accidents or were these two men murdered by the Mm -hmm. union? We'll never know. Mm-hmm. Murdered by anarchists. So unions are bad. I knew it. <laughs> no, that doesn't fit in with my current understanding of unions. In December 1910. I stand with the Netflix half of the Egyptian theater. <laughs> in December 1910, two men were killed and another two men were injured when the platform they were standing on in the elevator shaft collapsed. Oh my God. Then there were Who built th- this place? <laughs> it feels like Mr. Ed, um, <laughs> who's a scab. <laughs> then there were the three deaths in three weeks. March 1913, 60-year-old Meckle Lee died of a heart failure in her sleep. Then G.W. Clark died of a cerebral hemorrhage in his sleep. Finally, March 18th, 21-year-old Marjorie Sullivan was discovered by her mother and sister in the morning having died of heart failure due to phytosis fi- 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 or basically it's tuberculosis. Mike Tyson? Yeah. Basically tuberculosis. Okay. Also died in her sleep. All right. That's weird. I mean, that happens. It's weird for it all to happen in a week or whatever. Three of them in, in a, the span of, what did I say? Three weeks. Three, three of weeks. them in the span of three One weeks. A week. That's, all, a, that's yeah. a bad average. That's a bad average. Murdered by rest. Um, I put... <laughs> But they put a warrant out for Morpheus. <laughs> in 1950, a 25-year-old woman committed suicide by drinking poison. Two more heart attacks occurred in 1916. And in 1918, 27-year-old Ethel Ferry committed suicide by gunshot to the head. In 1919, 45-year-old L.B. Smith Jr. jumped or had fallen off the sixth floor story window, surviving because he had landed on the second story skylight, but then died later at the hospital. Yeah. Another two suicides in 1920. And in 1922, somebody overdosed on opium. In 1922... A 22-year-old man named Vaden Boge, a son of a, or- a wealthy organ rancher, registered... Son of a wealthy organ rancher. Son of a- <laughs> registered Mr. and Mrs. Boge, got a room for two on the fourth floor, and then mentioned that his wife would come later with luggage. He ordered room service. They brought him the food. He was left with a food tray, and an hour later, staff were alarmed when they heard screaming come from his room. He ran out saying that he had been poisoned. He <laughs> collapsed and died. Oh, weird. And his wife wasn't there yet. No. One of the coffee cups was half empty. The other contained cyanide. There was no indication that a woman had ever been present in the room with Boge, nor were there any eyewitness accounts of anyone being seen with him. The newspapers reported the police were searching for a ghost woman. (laughs) 
Later, detectives learned that Boj was not married and had no interest in women. Family claimed he was depressed and possibly suicidal. Uh, what do you mean by that? What man doesn't have interest in women? What that? What are you trying to say? I, I don't understand. So he like was like all man. He like no interest in oh, womanly uh, thing. I don't understand. He liked hunting so much he didn't have time for women. That's what you mean, right? Okay. Like he was okay. I get it. I think I understand. Yeah, I get it. He sounds cute. <laughs> His family thought family claimed that he was depressed and possibly suicidal. So nobody really knows what is going. What? Well, why, well, why go to that ruse? Yeah. Why? Why? Why pretend, pretend to be murdered? I, I mean, I don't understand what happens. Why create the mystery? Yeah, I don't either. But but that's uh, it's that's a lot of weird. Sh- it's very strange. Yeah, many more suicides. They are maybe wanted to leave a mystery. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, there's some people that are like that. Yeah, many more suicides in Alexandria followed. In 1961, a former mental patient leapt to his death from the fire escape and landed on two people who survived, although hey. one had a broken back. In 2009, an 87 year old man fell off the ninth floor when the fire escape railing buckled. <laughs> In 2013, a 24-year-old man fell from the fourth floor, not sure if it was accidental or not. This is just a handful sample set of deaths that have occurred at the Alexandria. I would never use a fire escape. Like, even if there was a fire, I've never seen a fire escape that looks stable. Nope. 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 Never. (laughs) Nope. I agree with you. I've never seen a fire. Fire escapes are just not an LA thing. Not really. No. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah, it is very weird. Because I watched Rear Window. I'm like, I want that life. But (laughs) do I? Yeah. How are we supposed to get out of a building if there's a fire? Um, we'll call our landlord and in uh, nine weeks they'll uh, if you uh, write to a letter mail. to the city council <laughs> they're gonna say a few racist things about you but then they'll pass an ordinance to help you yeah yeah they'll 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 message you saying they listen to your voicemail and then uh, that's the last yeah. that's the end the of the last it. thing you hear is a recording from kevin de leon <laughs> saying i appreciate your concern and then he follows up with a racist thing yeah I appreciate your concern, sure. you. Yeah, and then he'll 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 kind of just take a stab at what you are. Yeah, you you hear a wheel spinning. Yeah, Shh. I have a problem with you, Southern German, <laughs> and it's just like a robotic voice. Swedish people. <laughs> here's a here's a new one. Yeah, yeah. Some of you heard you heard this one. So let's talk about the hauntings. Okay, good. This is a very haunted hotel. It's well known that there are no definitive proof of ghosts. Uh, um, or haunting, Greg. I'm covered in ectoplasm right now. Do you not see? You have, what, have you, you didn't Can even you ask. explain this goo. <laughs> you didn't even question it when you walked in here. I have goo all over. It was like so there's something about Mary when I walked in. That was ectoplasm. You didn't say anything. <laughs> there's something about Mary. She's a ghost. <laughs> there's something about Mary. I see her burned into my toast. <laughs> all we have is there's story. something about scary. It's good. Thank yeah, you. It's also fun. That's also very funny. That should yeah. be the title of this episode. All we have is stories. And, and things I hate about boo. Go on. Are you sure? Uh, no, but no, go on. <laughs> no, I just can't help myself. All we have is stories. And sometimes some places get more stories than others. Right. The Alexandria is a place with many claims. And within the Alexandria are the two beloved ballrooms. The second floor. See, there are two ballrooms. And I never know which one they're talking about. Because I think the annex has the palm court. And the second floor ballroom is the rose ballroom if i okay. understood correctly which just quick sidebar i give you another movie name yeah uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. A quick uh, sidebar sidebar <laughs> because after the last episode i went to beverly hills after uh-huh. the mall things i wanted to look at things that were day drive and we went to the beverly hills hotel and they have that ballroom there yeah and they have a picture that is so unself-aware that it is the picture from the shining because it's like a picture from like New Year's Eve dinner from 1920 and it's it's that same picture and there's a guy right in the middle like this in the you know arms stretched yeah. out like Jack Nicholson in that picture and it is so eerie I am almost 
positive that the Biltmore has the same It's image. so weird. And that- you're like, do you know, have you not seen The Shining? You <laughs> Take don't this want- down. You go, it's okay to put this in a room to F with people, but don't put this in the lobby and then no one will rent a room. <laughs> it's so weird yeah. that those are just like the pictures that's so funny. <laughs> yeah, I saw The Shining. It was okay. No one's even addressing the fact that you, they have the exact photo on the wall. <laughs> and they, they like Photoshop Jack Nicholson into all of them. There's a, uh, like the empty space of where an ax used to be on the wall. <laughs> what? Yeah. Why do you ask? <laughs> I just watched the book. I didn't watch the movie. Uh, so the second floor ballroom, the Rose ballroom, I believe is said to be the most haunted by shining style, old timey dancers and party goers from the twenties. That. See, if I were to see a ghost, I feel like that's what I'd want to see is like a ballroom. A ballroom, full of fun. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah, yeah. having fun. Like the haunted mansion. Not, I was about to say like the haunted mansion. Like it's just like everyone's having a party and yeah. everyone's dancing and no one's Yeah, I want grim grinning ghosts. Yeah. I, see gr- I don't want ghosts. little British boys. No. I want grim grinning ghosts. Grim grinning ghosts. Grim grinning okay. Ghosts. We've done our warm up. Yeah. The woman's restroom has faucets turned on by themselves, according to reports. Others claim to have seen a woman appear to them in the mirror, possibly Bloody Mary. Lights in the ballroom flicker. A shy young girl wearing a white dress has been seen peeking through the doorway before turning and running away. Some people, I don't, uh, yeah, Bloody Mary has always been one of my greatest fears, yeah, and also ditto. like people. Maybe it's just because I have a cat now, but like yeah. something staring at you from the darkness, like halfway hidden behind a door at night, is very scary, terrifying, and then running away. That, and then you have to feed it. <laughs> Then I got to get up and figure out what it has in the mouth. I have to get up and scoop it later. Literally, I think the scariest thing is someone standing. Were you waking up to someone standing at the end of your bed is maybe the scariest thing. Yeah, because you've had sleep paralysis before. I have had that. And I've also woken up to see a silhouette. It was just my mom standing there. But I've woken up to a silhouette (laughs) at the edge of the bed being like, "Um, this is it for me. This is the last thing I'll be be explaining in the afterlife. that that's the last thing I saw before I was ripped in half. I made waffles. (laughs) Not more of a pancake guy. Some people claim to get odd headaches in the ballroom. Some people Mm. hear unexplained music coming from the ballroom. A paranormal team reported mirrors flying off the walls in one of the rooms, lights turning themselves on and off. Some people claim Valentino's room on the 12th floor is haunted. They get chills in front of his suite. It's said that an angry teen male haunts the chaplain suite on the 11th floor, door shut by themselves, which is how you... the chaplain I know. Teen male? Till male? In chaplain's room. I mean, teen something else, but not a teen male. Maybe he's the teen male. Um, (laughs) Doors shut by themselves there, which is how you know it's an angry young man. Um, (laughs) And you can hear the faint... A shout of, but I want to play Counter-Strike, Counter-Strike. Yeah, Counter-Strike. you can hear the faint sound of Blink-182 coming through the other side of the wall. <laughs> uh, the girl at the rock show, rock show, rock show. <laughs> There are cold spots throughout the entire building, but many say they feel the sensation in the palm court. Residents mm-hmm. reported hearing banging sound, bursts of cold air blowing through their rooms in the middle of the night with no accents points, or like no windows, no doors open. Some people have reported a dapper man dressed in mm-hmm. 20s clothes reading a newspaper while sitting at a table. Others have seen a shadowy figure moving through the parking garage, which might just be like any parking garage. <laughs> well, that, that's deep throat. Yeah. He wants to tell you something about he's, Nixon. He's got the scoop. The basement is said to be haunted by the ghosts of two former mobsters, Larry and Gus, who make regular appearances. One person speculated that Gus was a hitman from the old Ciro's nightclub on Sunset, hmm. which is now the comedy store. Also one of Gus's favorite haunts. Johnny Tightlips over here, <laughs> spilling, spilling all the information. Yeah, another ghost. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of speculating going on in that. Some former guests have reported being disturbed. This ghost is like ratting on other ghosts yeah. in heaven. You won't believe the things I saw. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that uh, I don't remember a single mobster <laughs> thing. You won't believe, but walk on water. Jesus up there is doing. <laughs> He's skimming off the top of God's pachinko racket. <laughs> He's going through the donation basket. 
<laughs> the elevators would take people to the wrong floor more frequently to the ninth floor or the ballroom, oh, which of, both of which are said to be hot spots for cold spots. <laughs> but the most interesting of these ghosts... This spot is just right. Just right. The most interesting of these ghosts to me is the woman in black who first started appearing to guests during the late 60s renovation. Many people claim to see a partial-bodied apparition of an Edwardian woman in, dressed in black, face covered in a veil with a big hat, wandering the hallways of the hotel or the bomb court area. A former employee was hanging pictures in the hallway at two in the morning when she saw a woman <laughs> in her thirties wearing black high neck, like high necked dress. After seeing her, she disappeared. And a new legend according to Haunted by History is that the lady in black is a shapeshifter that can take the form of a black cat. Oh, okay. These are just some of the hauntings and I things. Like, I like a good shape. I don't think we've ever discussed a shapeshifter before. Me neither, but I also like ghosts that are shapeshifters. Yeah, that's yeah. fun. The, I I want to do that. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. If I get a choice, I'm going to be. I'm going to be yeah. a. I'm going to be like a. I'm going to be a ghost that could turn into like a pomeranian. <laughs> a black pomeranian. A black pomeranian. That's how you know I'm spooky. <laughs> none of this can be proven, obviously, but none of the great ghost stories or pieces of folklore can either. What can be proven is that Alexandria still stands after over a century of fading glamour still existing in the shadow of the Biltmore. It, yeah. It, and also now it's in the shadow of the Cecil hotel in terms right. of like spooky stories. Cause mm-hmm. nobody talks about, cause I remember when we did the Cecil episode, we're like, and this is just the Cecil. Yeah. Like there's this, there's, there's yeah. all these other hotels downtown that have these horrific stories, yeah. but everyone focuses on the Cecil because of Elisa lamb. Right. Yeah. And you're right. And the Rosalind and Alexandria and a couple of the other ones sort of whatever Biltmore is still glamour. Yeah. Like you still walk inside. It's still glamour. It's still really expensive and they're never going to become like a single room occupancy. Right. But also it has, which is possibly not, I, mean, I know it's not true that it was a, the last place Elizabeth Short was seen. Yeah. That it, ha- it has that rumor going right. for it's it. It's one of the, it's one of the 10 places with that rumor. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> she was seen at the Taco Bell. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the Cecil by reputation and the Biltmore because of luxury and reputation right. are the ones that get this pointed out. This is the out. middle child. Yeah, exactly. This is the middle child. Yeah, this is the Greg of downtown LA Greg. At one point was very popular and then uh, immediately... <laughs> and then Nikki, I mean the Hotel Cecil was born. Got uh, <laughs> overshadowed by something much taller and better looking <laughs> that still got to keep its hair. Man, the head of hair on the Hotel <laughs> Cecil. Just the way that the Hotel Cecil's clothes fit on it. It's so perfectly. <laughs> it's like, oh, I wanted my clothes to look like that, but on me. That's that's the that's that's the Biltmore, and that's the Alexandria. Yeah, and the Cecil. Does anyone ever call the Biltmore and say, uh, "I'm looking for uh, Mr. Butts, yeah. Biltmore Butts, Biltmore Butts"? Yeah, they yeah. do say that. Yeah, yeah, um, I thought so. They have a, but by this time, over you know, a hundred years now, Biltmore has already come up with a, a zinger. <laughs> yeah, they. <in laughs> when you got hired, they have. If someone calls and says, "I'm looking for Biltmore, Biltmore butts. butts," you, you just respond, "Yeah, you're. Yeah, I'll put your mom on line four. You say something like that. <laughs> yeah, you can. Depending on how you're feeling that day, you can either go with the Yo Mama category, yeah, yeah. the um, You're So Ugly category. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Your face at Biltmore Butts. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that's Alexandria. I I didn't know anything about it really, other than just it's across the street from the last bookstore. Knowing the ghost hotel there. Is, yeah, that's the is, most. I'm going to be looking for that, actively looking for that side of the. I want to see the windows. I want to see the windows too. I mean, someone's got to. I mean, crack a window. I, guys, <laughs> no, crack a you, window. Right? Yeah. I want to send a drone into there. I want to. I want a drone to crash through it the crash window. through the window <laughs> and make a rude entrance to all those rats that are just living there peacefully, rent free, <laughs> rent free, but not rat free. <laughs> so now we're moving away from downtown, and Greg. It's time to go back to school. No! <laughs> no, Mom, no. I don't want to. Don't make me. 
please. I want to sleep in. I want Mama. a job. I want to work in the mines. <laughs> I'm sick of learning. I want to go straight to a minimum wage job with no insurance. <laughs> Mom. Let me just join the military. <laughs> So this one, I, I, I knew I wanted to focus on one place yeah. and I had, I went into it as if entering a dark place that is one place in the story I'm going to talk about with a flashlight. I had no idea what I was going to find and I found way more than I bargained for. Have you walked around the campus? Uh, yeah. I mean, are you trying to feel out if I'm a graduate of this place or were you allowed to, were you uh, supposed to be there? That's what I'm asking. Did you go to a school near Boston or, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, yeah, I've been, I've been there many times. Okay. I haven't, I guess I've, have you walked a beat? I don't, I wanted to go to these places before we recorded, but I didn't have time, right. but I've walked through the place many times, mm-hmm. but I have not been there at night. Maybe. Okay. And that's kind of what I want to do. Right. <laughs> right I just, that's also what I want to do tonight. If yeah. you're not busy. <laughs> Walk around spooky ass this place that you're about to talk about. Uh, The place who shall not be named. So let's get right into it. U-C-L-A. You ain't got no burden. Sage, you're haunted. Yeah, yeah, you're haunted. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. That was probably two hours of your life. (laughs) I didn't get to finish this research because I was coming up with... uh, (laughs) I was remembering summer camp chants from my past. U-C-L-A. You ain't got no alibi. You're just educated. What? You're smart. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so like I said, I want to focus on one location. So I'm going to be talking about various hauntings and strange stories that have come out of our beloved, cherished, esteemed UCLA. You and I, of course, graduated here on a full academic and athletic scholarship. Magna summa cum laude. I can't hear you. <laughs> remember when we went to UCLA together? Yeah, I remember. Uh, the, the year was 1961. <laughs> We had our whole lives ahead of us. It was us. Uh, Jackie Robinson was playing football on with us, right? He was, he was asking us for tips. I'm like, Jackie, baby. Jackie, you know, you're pretty good at football. And this is what I said to him. I said, you're pretty good at football. Why don't you try cracking the bat a little bit? Just a little bit. Just as a hobby. Yeah. And I said, as a black man, <laughs> it's going to be very easy for you to get into... <laughs> Get onto the Dodgers, <laughs> so we made that happen. Yeah, we just. I mean, I, I, I just. I'm looking out for the guy. You know, he's so impressive. Yeah, uh, but hey, he's the hero. What about us? <laughs> and what about us? So we're gonna start out slow. Like I was telling you, this is gonna start slow with some lightly spooky things, and as it goes on, stuff's going to get kind of rough and upsetting. So strap in. Like it gets very rough. Okay. <laughs> to start, let's just to to start. A guy was murdered with his throat ripped out. Um, let's just let's just lay the groundwork of UCLA, but really broadly and only really the story as it begins in Westwood. Okay. So they existed. UCLA existed since 1882, but 1927 was the year that the Los Angeles branch state normal school moved to the area, or as they became known in 1919, the southern branch of the University of California, or as they became known the year that they moved, 1927, University of California at Los Angeles. It wasn't until 1958 they actually became known as University of California, comma, Los Angeles, or UCLA. So that wasn't until 1958. But anyway, the Westwood campus was known as the Beverly site in the planning stages. And the first four buildings they put there were Royce Hall, mm-hmm. The college library, now known as Powell Library, the chemistry building, now known as Haynes Hall, and the physics biology building, now known as Kaplan Hall. Okay. So all of those, all these buildings being together in that top part of the campus, like where the, like that big lawn. But at the time that was it, that was the entire campus was just that area. Okay. And this brings me to my first segment, step up to the screech. (laughs) 
There's a lot of these. Uh, I, I no doubt. Uh, you were you were I, I told you we can record a couple hours earlier today and you're like, I'm still typing and I guarantee that yeah. most of your week was coming up with these and then you're like, Oh, I better research something. All the hard research was there and then I had like a blank spots <laughs> I needed to fill in. Insert funny thing here. <laughs> Make them laugh here, Daniel. <laughs> Uh, so this land is your land, but it's also my, my land. land. After being taken from the Keech, this <laughs> land yes. by the Spanish, and then it was taken by Mexico, was given in 1843 to a guy named Maximo Alanis. A last-minute decision to give it to him instead of Morissette Alanis. <laughs> that took four hours. Isn't that ironic? It- <laughs> I wish I knew another song of hers. Isn't that a jagged little pill to swallow? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So this guy named the area here, uh, Maximo Alanis, he named it Rancho San Jose de Buenos Aires. That's Mm. what this place was called. When he died, it became the property of the second mayor of Los Angeles, who wasn't a horse, Benjamin Davis Wilson. He might have been a horse. I've never seen a picture of him. (laughs) Who then sold it to our old pal, William Wolfskill, who was not a wolf. He was a citrus farmer who renamed it Wolfskill Ranch and then sold it to Arthur Letts Sr., which is not a sentence, who was the founder of both the Broadway and Bullock's department stores. Oh, wow. Who then, when he died, went to his son-in-law, Harold Yance. And this is where things start to get weird. Okay. So... Harold and his brother Edwin owned a development company named Yance Investment Company, and they sold the land to UCLA for their new campus that they were building. But it seemed like they were also hired to plan out the campus. So they they were actually the ones who developed Westwood was this this company. So this is kind of like the lower area. Uh, no, this is the higher area. The higher, oh, this you is the higher area. Where you I thought you were talking about the higher ears. area. It was already there. Open now we're talking about the ears. lower area. Rice Hall. Rice Hall. <laughs> Powell Library. Um, yeah, no. So this is the, the upper area. The upper area with the big lawn where sure. Rice Hall is. That's the area we're talking about. But later on, they developed the South. I guess you could call it the South Campus, which is just Westwood. It's just Westwood. So, okay. yeah, why, why was I confused? <laughs> you're an idiot. I can tell you why you're confused. <laughs> so the legend goes that Harold and Edwin were something of a Cain and Abel and disagreed about how the campus of UCLA should look. Mm-hmm. Harold wanted to keep its natural hilly beauty. Edwin wanted a big grand staircase to welcome people into the campus like the schools on the East Coast had. They couldn't agree and neither would compromise. So when Harold went on a trip out of the country, Edwin just went and built the staircase wow. that's now there in that big lawn area that you walk up. Am I my brother's sibling? <laughs> <laughs> so the the big long staircase yeah from the upper to the lower is yeah, that yeah. staircase that's okay. the yance staircase i have a video of my dog running on the stairs oh your dog is cursed uh <laughs> i so, hate to inform you yeah he's gonna it, get diarrhea <laughs> they were called the yance steps like i said but they seem to have changed the name in 2020 to the tongva steps but i'm not sure if that's official oh, okay and they also seem to have changed it again so i'm not really sure so Weird. but the problem was Edwin built these steps against his brother's will, but Edwin was dying and he knew that the second he died, his brother's just going to tear these steps up. So again, as the legend goes, before he died, Edwin put in his will that he must be buried under the sixth step of these stairs. And that way his brother legally would not be allowed to tear them up because that would be desecrating a grave. Wow. So allegedly Edwin Yance is buried under the sixth step of this staircase, which is why students believe that the sixth step is cursed. And if you step on it, you're doomed to graduate a quarter late. 
So wow. I hate to tell you, but you're going to have to pay for another quarter of tuition. For I'm Ringo. so sorry. That's $9 million. Yeah. Uh, the curse is really on your parents. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's, uh, that's okay. Interesting. Yeah. I want to be that spiteful. I don't have the energy yeah. or the tenacity, but I want to be like that. When I die, I have it in my will that I'm going to be buried attached to this microphone and you are also attached to the, the, uh, I'll be, the other I'll, side of the recording thing. Come on, I'm going first. Um, come on. <laughs> Who are we kidding? Who are we kidding? Who are we kidding? Mike, any curse you put on me will be doubled because I will already have cursed you. Okay, so also in 1989, Edwin Yance Jr. jumped off of a building in Santa Monica to his death. So that's the, wow. that's the Yance Really? Story. What year? 1989. This was much later. Wow. But there is another aspect of this early campus that has led to some other modern day weirdness. And my next segment, Tunnel of Shove. <laughs> A lot of these I wrote and I was like, is this scary? <laughs> it's scary that my brain came up with it. It's <laughs> yeah, probably do- a red flag. My doctor thinks it's scary. <laughs> okay, so before any of these early buildings were built, the very first structure built on the Westwood UCLA campus was something called the Arroyo Bridge. Okay. As we know, UCLA is a nightmare of hills, and that big quad area that we've been talking about used to have a giant gulch in the middle of it. Okay. Something of a Gower Gulch. Sure. It was a dip so deep that a bridge was needed to connect the two sides. Like that's how okay. how much space there was here. Okay. The Arroyo Bridge did this by connecting the area that is now around Murphy Hall on the east to where the flag is at the end of the street that's now called Dixon Court. It was a pretty significant bridge from the pictures I saw, and it was really tall. It was so big that during World War II, they stored enough emergency food for 50,000 people under the bridge in case the city was bombed. Wow. It got eaten by a troll, unfortunately. And then the troll stepped on the sixth step and was like, oh, I got to go to troll school again. (laughs) So by the late 40s, though... The school needed more land for the growing campus. So in December of 1947, the land around it was filled in. But that road, Dixon Court, is actually the top of that bridge. Okay. So you're still driving on the bridge if you drive on that street, which is why there's signs on it saying bridge weight limit five tons on this what well, on the looks street. like a street. Yeah. Because yeah. on the land on either side is essentially hollow and it would all collapse if a giant Whoa. truck were to go there. Oh my God. So that it, it, that's really weird that that's just the top of an old, of a hundred year old bridge. Weird. But this leads into the underground of UCLA. So connecting to this now underground bridge is six miles of secret but not so secret tunnels stretching from around Murphy Hall to Royce Hall and then all the way down to the hospital with detours along the way. Okay. There's, so there's six miles of tunnels Jeez. underneath UCLA. They're three stories below ground and are mostly kind of steam and electrical tunnels, which is why they're often extremely hot and dangerous, but they connect to some weird areas beneath some of the buildings. Okay. Under McGowan Hall, there's a storage area for all the old theater props. So you go down and there's like wigs and, wigs and uh, Groucho glasses. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bunch of skulls so somebody could play uh, uh, Hamlet. Yeah. But which one's real? <laughs> that This is what my nightmare I was telling you about was I saw an old breakaway sugar glass <laughs> bottle. Uh, Melissa, wake me up. Was it about the sugar glass bottle again? <laughs> you need to see somebody. You can. You need to ask the government for money for what they did to you for making you dream about that sugar glass bottle. So there's something down there in these tunnels called the toilet graveyard. I don't know what that is. I don't know if like you go toilet in a big pit yeah. or if it's just like a pit filled with old toilets. toilets yeah. Either way, 
I have no business to be down there. <laughs> There's an area under the library that has a bunch of old Dewey Decimal filing drawers and typewriters. There's also a supposedly a ghost in that room. I could not find any more information about it. Mm-hmm. These tunnels are technically off limits to students, but kids have found ways to get down there and do college kids stuff for decades with some graffiti dating back to the 40s. Wow. They're also allegedly used for initiation rituals for the Order of the Golden Bear, which is a secret society of sorts on the UCLA campus. They've also been used to shuttle high-profile or controversial guests that give speeches at the campus like Hillary Clinton or George Lincoln Rockwell, who is the head of the American Nazi Party in 1967. What's the difference? Am I right? Lock her... Up. It feels good to say that again. <laughs> now that we're getting close to the 2024 election, it feels so good to still want to lock her to, up. Yeah, to, to, and it also makes as much sense as it did before. It just still makes so much sense. <laughs> Even more. <laughs> History has proven us right that someone should lock her up. But some of these weird offshoots of the tunnels kind of go nowhere and their purpose has been lost to time. Some are believed to even have been built in the early 1900s before UCLA even moved here. Oh, like weird. they connected to like the the VA, like across oh, the 405. Right. Yeah. A, a lot of them were sealed off before the 1984 Olympics for security purposes and entry got even harder when COVID hit, but there are still ways and poking around on the internet will tell you how to get down there, but I'm not going anywhere near a place that has a toilet graveyard. No, yeah. I don't want to die in a toilet graveyard. You're like, toilet graveyard, but then there's a, a it parentheses that says uh, public toilet graveyard. You're like, no. <laughs> it's a trough. No. <laughs> but now, it's a pooping trough. But <laughs> <laughs> they were experimenting with the world's first communal poop hole. <laughs> but now let's follow some roots of a tree growing out of these tunnels back to, the, back to the surface in a story I'll call Hot Potato, Hot Potato. Oh, God, why is my skin melting off? It's so hot potato. Good. This is good. <laughs> that, that one was pretty scary, right? Uh, four hours for that four one. Four hours. There are two trees outside of Moore Hall that people call the potato trees. Okay. These are two trees that have these giant potato-like tubers growing off of them. And the legend is that during the Cold War, they were doing experiments at UCLA to find out ways to grow food during a nuclear winter. Oh my God. They were experimenting on some potatoes. And as a joke, one of the students took a few of them and planted them outside Moore Hall. And these two trees grew out of Whoa. them. That's the legend. In okay. reality, they're just, they're called Kigelia pinata, AKA sausage trees from Africa. But I like the story. I like the story. There's a handful of other small legends like that one scattered around the campus. One is that a secretary in Murphy Hall saw blood coming out of a fountain in the basement and then died. <laughs> <laughs> There's one that the film program's soundstage three is haunted with lights going on and off and things getting knocked over. Then there's a story that happened off campus, but on September 10th, 1981, 19-year-old Gregory L. Griffin broke into the Laurel Canyon home of UCLA Dean Philip Franson to rob the place and ended up killing him. The weird thing here is that the street that this took place on was Wonderland Avenue, the same block as the Wonderland murders happened on. Oh, really? But now, into my segments where things start to get a little bit rough. Okay. This next one I'll call It's Really Sad and I'm Not Making a Joke Title About It. I'm I'm proud of you. I'm <laughs> so proud of you. off the air, I'll text you what I wrote. Yeah, I'll hit you something nasty. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell it to you in hieroglyphics <laughs> so that we can't be traced. <laughs> I'll send it to you in uh, candy boxes from the Egyptian <laughs> theater. You'll get it. So now we're heading over to Bolter Hall. Okay. Built in 1959 to house math and science programs. This building housed one of the most important events in modern history when on October 29th, 1969, in room 3420, the first message ever was sent over ARPANET. 
which is considered to be the moment that the internet was born, happened in Bolter Hall at UCLA. Okay. But less pleasant, things happened here over the years. Okay. In May 2013, a 47-year-old library employee named Reynaldo Quintos jumped off the roof of the building to his death. In May 2016, Minox Sarkar, a student from the UCLA doctorate program living in Minnesota, had been harboring some grudge against some of his old professors and for some reason snapped. He killed his ex-wife and then drove all the way from Minnesota to UCLA to Bolter Hall, uh-huh. where he stormed in and shot and killed his old professor, William Klug. Wow. He attempted to find a second professor he was angry with, but he wasn't there that day, so Sarkar killed himself instead. His death note asked someone to please check on his cat. <laughs> <laughs> I regret nothing. Please feed my cat. Please feed my cat. Yeah, uh, don't touch his stomach. He might bite you. <laughs> he won't like that. Then a few months later, in October 2016, another person, this time a 20-year-old student, jumped off the roof of Bolter Hall to his death Jesus. as well. So the, uh, the, that's what Bolter Hall, the rep, a lot of people have jumped off the roof of that. So God. like I said, things are getting kind of rough. Yeah. But this next segment, <laughs> all call. <laughs> One bedroom, scared bath down the hall. What what's the scare supposed to be? Shared, shared. like a shared bathroom. Got it. Okay, yeah. I was I was Is your wondering. Arm okay, what? Is your arm okay? That was a that was a really hard stretch you made. I just want to make sure that you didn't pull anything. I was wondering, like, is Greg going to get this, or has he lived such a privileged li- privileged <laughs> life he's never had to sh- scare a bathroom before down the hall? But us common people are yucking it up right now. Um, We're laughing listen, at our pigsties as you. <laughs> I'm one of three brothers. I scared everything in my life. <laughs> I'm wearing a scare. I'm, <laughs> I'm wearing a severed hand-me-down right now so, from my brother who's 40-something. <laughs> so several of the dorms around campus have ghost stories. Okay. Gardenia Hall has a reputation of noises in the middle of the night that aren't just students doing that famous experimenting I've heard so much about. <laughs> One night in particular, several people in Gardenia Hall saw a tall, dark, presumably handsome, and shadowy figure walking down the hallway with spectral flow. Okay. Which yeah. I strive to have spectral, spectral flow. flow. I, I just I want it with that, with that vibe. Yeah. I, I just want that aura. Yeah. Me, that spectral, spectral aura. flow. But the one building with the maybe worst reputation... I'm going to say definitely the worst reputation is Dijkstra Hall. Dijkstra. Dijkstra. Named after Clarence A. Dijkstra, who wanted to turn UCLA from a commuter campus to a place that students lived and thrived. So in his time, people would just drive over to campus in, as he called them, their private jalopies. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. And then they would leave after class. Is he the, is it, who's the main stuffy guy in Beverly Hillbillies? Is it like a bank owner or something? Uh, I I, I only, when I think of jalopy, when when you think jalopy, think Jughead from the Archie comics. (laughs) I'm begging you. Please. And this holiday season, think of Jughead. Think of Jughead and the other Riverdale gang. Please. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what a what a slam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to describe every student at UCLA a as jalopy. a jalopy driver. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> Which funny. is where that slur came from. That's why everyone from USC calls everyone at UCLA a jalopy driver. That's what that's the time honored tradition calling <laughs> So to fix this. Dijkstra pushed for a building that would eventually become Dijkstra Hall opening in 1959. It was the first dorm on the hill of UCLA. It has 10 stories and could fit 900 students. It was meant to be a self-contained community that would be the center of student life. But it wasn't all experimenting in the middle of the night here. I've heard so much about. Um, in April 1996, uh, the, the, what, what a transition here. In April yeah. 1996, a student hanged themselves in their room. Oh my God. This happened again in November 2004. But the biggest story to come out of Dijkstra Hall is one of the big cold cases of LA history, that of Michael Negret. 
Have you heard? Some no, of you have heard this one. I haven't heard Michael Negrette okay, before. Okay, good. So I don't have to stop. Negrette was a freshman in the music program at UCLA living in Dijkstra Hall on the sixth floor. On December 10th, 1999, he was at a party in another room in the building. And sometime after midnight, he went back to his dorm to play a computer game with a friend in a different room in the building via intranet. Okay. Not ARPANET. I don't know what game this would have been in yeah. 1999. Maybe like a... Uh, some sort of sample of a Star Wars episode one. It's a demo. Phantom, a demo of it's the a, Phantom yeah. Menace of Jar Jar's big adventure yeah. that he got in a cereal box. Yeah. It's a, it's a demo from a magazine. <laughs> he was playing 300 free hours of AOL. <laughs> so he's playing on his computer at 3.40 a.m. He logged off his computer. He went out into the hallway to give a high five to the guy he had been playing with. They both went their separate ways back to their own rooms. And that was the last anyone ever saw of Michael Negrette. Jeez. He never made it back to his room. His wallet was still there. His keys, his jacket, even his shoes were still in his room. There was no physical evidence of violence, no sign of a struggle, no clues, no hints, no suspects. He had no past of mental illness, no drug use, no enemies, no secret life. In the search, a bloodhound followed his scent to a bus stop on the other side of campus. But that made so little sense that even that was dismissed as the dog just kind of got confused. Why would it be dismissed? Because it made so little sense and there was no evidence that he was actually there. Like if he had no money and no shoes, oh, right. like how, they just figured like, well, the I mean, dogs aren't, I know that yeah, yeah, Ringo yeah, yeah. is I, perfect, but yeah. most dogs aren't perfect. Makes sense though. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. But the, where would he go? Where would he go? Where where would he have gone? There was no sign of him even leaving the building. Okay. Like there was no, it didn't make sense. Yeah. Michael Negrette seemed to have simply vanished into thin air inside Dijkstra Hall. That's crazy. But now this, and this is still a cold case. Nobody knows what happened to him. But now this takes us to the part of the underbelly of UCLA that I'm most excited to get to. And I'll call this one. <laughs> a rolling bone gathers no moss. This here. Do you ever double pun a word like skeleton instead of skeleton? Do you ever do that? I've gone as far as a quadruple pun, <laughs> but I flew so close to the to the uh, the pun up. Uh, yeah. I flew too close to the pun. That's yes. funny. Yeah, no, that's good. And uh, I kind of started hallucinating when I passed out, and <laughs> Melissa dumped a bunch of water on me. Yeah, I saw God though when it happened. So this here is a story I was not aware of, which is insulting that nobody told me about this. And I don't know if you know about this. It is that of Dr. Thelma Moss and the Parapsychology Lab of UCLA. I don't know about this. Okay, great. Perfect. I'm really excited because this is like, like I said, I went into this unknowing, like, what am I going to find in the bowels of UCLA? And this is like a huge story. Okay. It starts with a woman born Thelma Schnee. Also, Thelma Moss, a rolling bone gathers no moss. I got it. I got it. Yeah, I got okay. it. Yeah, it's all what you I did. just wanted to make sure because I need your validation. <laughs> <laughs> and I won't be validating your parking. I also refuse to be validated by you, <laughs> but I need it. But I refuse to. So it starts with a woman born Thelma Schnee, born on the blemishless day of January 6th, <laughs> 1918, though. Oh, uh, a different thing happened. A different storm happened that day. Yeah. It was a dark and stormy capital. (laughs) So next we know of her, she graduated in 1939 from Carnegie Tech in Pittsburgh with a degree in drama. With this, she got into acting and became one of the founding members of the Actors Studio in New York City. Oh, wow. Interesting. And from there, she got into writing movies. She wrote some sci-fi TV stuff in a sci-fi movie, but her biggest claim to fame in Hollywood was writing a movie in 1954 called Father Brown that's now known as The Detective, but it was starring the man who knows what is and isn't a moon himself, 
Alec Guinness. Okay. So she wrote a movie starring Alec Guinness. And this is when things start get really getting very, very weird. Okay. It's because of Alec Guinness on one night in particular that her life changed forever. September 23rd, 1955. She was going to have dinner with Alec Guinness at a place called Villa Capri in Hollywood on McCadden, right by the Egyptian theater. Okay. But the place was totally packed, so they turned away and left. Like you did. They they went to the Star Wars Cantina instead, (laughs) which he had no idea what that was at the time, but he was very confused. He's not really welcome there anymore. He caused a little bit of a ruckus. Um, One guy didn't like him, and his friend didn't like him either. (laughs) Those two guys, they had death sentence on 12 systems. Also, LAPD has never found them. (laughs) So as they're walking down the street to find somewhere else to eat, the Scientology building, uh, a cafeteria at the Scientology building, someone comes running out of the restaurant after them. They turn around. It's James Dean. He was a big big fan of Alec Guinness, and I'm sure didn't care at all who Thelma Schnee was. So he invited them to join him at his table. So they're walking back to the restaurant. Wouldn't you know it? They pass this brand new sports car in the parking lot. The spider. And James Dean says, hey, check this out. It's my brand new car. And he's saying, oh, it can go 150 miles per hour. It's great. For whatever reason, Alec Guinness says to him, something compels him. And he says to this man he's never met before, please do not get into that car. Because if you do, it's now Friday, 10 o'clock at night. By 10 o'clock at night next Friday, you'll be dead if you get in that car. What? I have no idea how anyone reacted to this other than Alec Guinness, who apologized for being so forward while being British. So Alec Guinness said this to James Dean. Alec Guinness said this to James Dean, never met before. But it was famous. Both of them famous. Both of them famous, yeah. He says this to him. What compelled Alec Guinness to say this? Who knows? But the Friday after this, September 30th, James Dean died crashing that car at 5.45 p.m. Wow. The weirdness of what compelled Alec Guinness to say that and for that to then happen to James Dean never left Thelma for the rest of her life. She couldn't understand why that happened yeah so not long after this thelma married a producer named paul f moss becoming thelma moss sure and she got pregnant but paul died shortly after their daughter was born which drove moss into a deep depression which caused her to attempt to take her own life twice okay therapy and medication wasn't helping so in 1957 she tried an experimental new treatment people were trying LSD. Oh, no. Not if you're not doing well. Okay. (laughs) So this actually helped her, and she decided she was wasting her time writing movies for Alec Guinness and decided to go, that that sorcerer, that old sorcerer, and decided to go back to school and got her doctorate in psychology. Okay. That old wizard? That old wizard. Yeah. I I knew your father. He was a great pod racer. In 1962, don't get into that pod racer. Are you having a stroke? (laughs) <laughs> I swear to you, do not get into this pod racer, James Dean. It could do the um, the parcel. No, it could do the <laughs> make the Kessel run. Kessel run in, in twelve parsecs, <laughs> and then Sebulba came and challenged him. I'll race you up to Northern California. It was crazy. We'll take the five. Um, Chuba. So in 1962, she also, and that was the game that Michael Legrette was playing. He was playing James Dean pod races Sebulba. <laughs> so in 1962, she also wrote a book about her depression and how LSD therapy saved her called Myself and I under the pen name of Constance A. Newland. Okay. Why? I don't know. With her new degree, she became a champion of alternative treatments like LSD and microdosing, essentially. This is what she was abdicating yeah. for and became even more vocal about its benefits than the other guy shouting about how great it was at the time, Tim- 
Timothy Leary. Mm-hmm. So they were like, they were, uh, what do you call, what, what do you, what, what do you say? Uh, contemporaries. Yeah, contemporaries. But they're not opposing forces. They're both agreeing to the same thing. Yeah, but, but one agreed ag- more. <laughs> and one was cool. <laughs> one hung out with Neil Cassidy, so we know who this is. <laughs> but her expertise in psychology got her a tangible job in 1966 teaching medical psychology right here at UCLA okay. in their Neuropsychiatric Institute. So she was teaching like a normal professor would there, but the Alec Guinness incident compounded by multiple treatments of LSD was always in her head. Yeah. And she started to focus more and more on non-traditional studies. Okay. As she put it, she wanted to understand how information is received, why dolphins separated by thousands of miles will gather together in an area near Hawaii, why the swallows return to Capistrano, which we know now is just because there was a Tall building. Tall building. Now they gather at the Sweet James billboard a few miles south. Right. Why a mother awakens in the middle of the night with fear that her son has been in an automobile accident and then the phone rings. How does all this happen? This is what she wanted to understand. She didn't feel that she had any psychic powers or anything like that, but she believed that thought was a tangible energy and she wanted to prove it. Okay. To do this, she started a secret, not so secret lab devoted to studying paranormal phenomena by use of the scientific method. This is okay. what she wanted. She wanted to scientifically prove, like you were saying, you can't prove ghosts ex- exist. This is what she wanted to prove. She wanted to prove that thought was tangible energy, right? She, she wanted to prove that psychic, yes, that thought that thought was an energy, that psychic powers exist. Like she wanted to have scientific proof that this was possible. Secret carpool lane to all knowledge. Yes. Yes. She okay. want, uh, and other LSD thoughts. Yes. <laughs> uh, another thoughts addled by LSD. Sure. And other high people thoughts. Sure. <laughs> she was going to prove that the paranormal existed. This was not approved of by UCLA and this was not funded by UCLA. And it's also not something they like to talk about these days, but it happened in an office right by the hospital at UCLA. Okay. She gathered a crew of students who were also interested in this sort of thing and began contacting people around LA who claim to have abilities. Uh, they make shows about this sort of thing. I Well, this is... I'll tell you what they made because of this sort okay. of thing later. They would analyze the effects of hypnosis, claims of clairvoyance, and telekinesis. Thelma Moss was actually the person who came up with the technique of depriving people of their senses in order to strengthen their physical senses, which is what you sensory see... Sensory deprivation. Sensory, which is what you see in literally every movie about psychic powers yeah. now. She was the one who came wow. up with this idea. An idea that is scientifically sound. Uh, and super sexy. <laughs> she would also give people a lot of drugs. Okay. <laughs> then in 1970, she went to the USSR to study a technique that she became locally renowned for, which is called Kirlian photography. Do you know what this is? No, I don't think I, I thought do. I did. I thought this was like those pictures people took in like the 1910s where you see like ectoplasm shooting out of their nose. Oh, right, right. Someone hanging from the back of the room or whatever. Right. Yeah. But this, so this is a little bit. It's basically that, but it's a little bit different. Okay. So Kirlian photography was developed in 1937 by an Armenian man named Samen Davidovich Kirlian and his wife, Valentina. So Samen was an electrician who noticed that when he photographed things with electricity pulsating through them, they would show lights and rays shooting off of them, or in other words, an aura. Okay. So the method was you would put your hand on a big sheet of film and then you would have a small electrical current pulse through your body as the film was exposed and the auras shooting off your hand would be analyzed. So the claim was that this would indicate and tell you things about your physical and emotional state. Okay. And also you would be electrocuted. And you would also get a small (laughs) electrical shock. For a reward for your efforts, you will be electrocuted. (laughs) So Moss firmly believed that Kirlian photography produced effects, but she didn't know what they meant, which is why she brought it back to UCLA and focused on it heavily. Okay. 
almost every other scientist at the time thought it was absolute nonsense and that all they were seeing was just corona discharges from the electricity. But in either case, she seems to have been awarded something called the Douglas Dean Award from the United Nations for this, for her peaceful collaboration with scientists from the USSR, even though it was complete nonsense. (laughs) Douglas Dean. Um, No relation. Dean of UCLA? Yeah. Oh, oh, I see. James Dean of UCLA? Oh, Chuba. (laughs) <laughs> Take that one to Watto's shop. You could get a coin for that. So now she's back at UCLA and experimenting heavily with Kirlian photography. And what she found was actually pretty weird. So she found that the auras did change depending on what you were looking at. Okay. She had one guy do it and then made him get drunk and did it again. And it was different. And as he continued to change the drunker, he got. Yeah. She did it. What? I, I have a question that you don't probably have an answer to. Which does, is, does alcohol make you conduct electricity? Yeah. Um, <laughs> let's try it right now. Um, I'm going to go. I'm going to jump in your tub. Just throw a bunch of toasters in. Yeah. I'm going to drink all this vodka and jump in the bathtub. Let's see what happens. Um, LSD and alcohol don't have the same effect on your brain. I have Why no idea. Why would you think that? drinking and then doing this would I don't okay go ahead well, you don't do you, I mean it's what what do you mean exactly I, I just don't understand she's a she's a proponent for LSD uh, she's not the, the drinking wasn't part of the treatment it was just to see like if his how does your mental state changing affect what we're seeing on these photographs okay like if you are within your senses Sure. If you're losing your inhibition, like what does oh, that look oh, like? Oh, if it okay, just not mental state. I, I I was wondering if no. I mean, they've I'm sure they did it also with giving people LSD, but yeah. it was just to see like how does your mental state change in these photographs? Okay, okay. also complete nonsense. Not yet, gibberish. She did okay. This these next ones are weird. She did it on a leaf, and and then she gave the leaf LSD. <laughs> it was a marijuana leaf. <laughs> it made it smoke itself. Yeah, she made a little drink for the the. Leaf. <laughs> It was really cute. Yeah. Uh, you could follow, you could see it on TikTok. There's a whole TikTok about it's a little drinks for leaves. So she did it on a leaf and then cut off a section of the leaf. And in the pictures, the aura would fill in and replicate the missing section of the leaf. Wow. So it would recreate what was missing. Then she tried it. You're going to love this on a couple of rat tails. Cool. <laughs> live rats. Uh, would, would you prefer a live rat or just the tail? Uh, n- not, not even the mention <laughs> is what I like. So rat tails. Woohoo. One with cancer and one without. The rat without cancer had a normal, colorful aura because rats are beautiful. But the one with cancers was dull and fading. Wow. So they looked different. Then she tried it on a person who had a broken finger. And what she saw was not only that the auras of the two fingers were different, the healthy one and the broken one, but the aura from the healthy finger was actually moving towards the broken finger as if to heal the broken finger. Weird. So this led Moss to theorize that maybe, just maybe, Kirlian photography could be used to diagnose cancer, but even more enticingly, that maybe there is a way to understand this energy to a point that it could actually be used to cure diseases. Okay. This is like this. These were the early steps of what she was hoping to achieve. Sure. It was supposed discoveries like these and her theories about things like that good rapport among strangers could possibly be ESP at work that gave her and her lab a reputation around town that led to people contacting them for help with their paranormal problems. So word got out to the general public. And yes, 
even celebrities. They're just like us. They have paranormal problems too. Yeah. They shop for milk. They have paranormal problems. <laughs> they shop for ectoplasm just like the rest of us. <laughs> Most of the celebrities that came to her did so anonymously, but there's a couple stories that we do know about. One is of the wife of character actor Albert Salmi, who I have to keep saying is not Salami. Yeah. Who uh, This guy was in tons of TV shows from the 60s to the 80s, including Lost in Space. He was in three episodes of The Twilight Zone and also Caddyshack. Okay. I'm going to look him up while you talk. Yeah. You'll probably recognize him from his Twilight Zone episode. I think he's like the rich old man from what that one where like all the families fighting over the, his estate or something before oh, he dies. Okay. Yeah, I do recognize this guy. Yeah. Okay, keep going. Uh sex symbol if I've ever seen one. Salami? Yeah. Yeah, Mr. S- boy, oh boy. <laughs> then I'll call him Albert Salami for no reason. <laughs> So she came into the lab and whatever reading on her they did, she was warned about her husband. Okay. Like there's something bad going yeah. on. She ignored this. Two decades later, her husband murdered her and then killed himself. Jesus. <laughs> on a lighter note, Carol Burnett came in and hey. they did Curlian photography for each of her different characters and each one showed wildly different auras. Really? Like, depending on which character she yeah. was doing. I, if I knew a single one of her characters, I would reference it right now. <laughs> and then came in... William Friedkin and William Peter Blatty, the director and writer of The Exorcist. Jesus. They came to the lab for research for The Exorcist uh-huh. and the, and were told to bring in something that had deep personal meaning. Blatty brought this medal that his dead mother had given to him. So in the lab with them, they had an LAPD officer who arrested them immediately. <laughs> this, so this LAPD officer had shown signs of psychometry, which is the ability to know things about a person or event by touching something related to that person or event. So like... Okay. The, like like what I saw Ahsoka do in the right. TV show. So Blatty, which Alec Guinness also warned about, <laughs> don't get in this show. <laughs> or in six episodes, people will lose interest. So Blatty gave this cop the medal. And then he said, what medal? Um, and <laughs> he described, so he this guy touches the medal, this guy who supposedly can see things by touching things. Yeah. So he, see, he touches it and he describes to him a white house with a white fence next to some train tracks and a black and white dog. The cop describes that the cop from the descri- metal. To, from touching the metal, he describes this to William okay. Peter Blatty, writer of The Exorcist. This meant absolutely nothing to William Peter Blatty. Right. Weeks later, Blatty was with his older sister and he told her about it. And she said that's exactly what the house they lived in in Lebanon looked like before he had been born. Wow. Really? Yeah. Oh, very, very strange. Very strange. And The Exorcist wasn't the only movie Thelma Moss had. Thelma Moss had uh, that would have, been, would have been a good title. Thelma Moss. Uh, Thelma Moss had an impact on. She also later helped advise on both Poltergeist and Ghost. And okay. also, supposedly, her lab was the inspiration for Dan Aykroyd to come up with the idea for Ghostbusters. I was uh, several times when you're talking about electrical shock. Yeah. I was thinking about the Ghostbusters. Right. Yeah, they actually had this car that they would drive around in. <laughs> it said Curly and One on the back. <laughs> so she also wrote a couple more books about her studies, The Probability of the Impossible in 1974 and The Body Electric in 1979. But Moss and the disciples in her lab didn't only focus on mental phenomenon. They would also investigate the occasional haunted house, which brings us to my scariest segment, which I'll call... <laughs> Uh, even I know this one's stupid. Ding dong, grave on call. <laughs> <laughs> oh my. You you typed that, I'm sure, as a placeholder. And that was a second draft. 
<laughs> I think it was originally in Grave on Calling, and I was like, why why Gilda Lily? They're not going to uh, let you join the WGA because of that. <laughs> I know. They're going to go back you. on strike. <laughs> Don't let him keep doing this. Let AI do it instead. <laughs> okay, so this is the scariest and weirdest part of all of okay. this. Related to Moss? This is part of Moss's lab. Okay. So two students in her lab were named Barry Taff and Carrie Gaynor. I don't know that much about Gaynor, but Taff was in his mid-20s with a degree in physiological psychology and was considered to have psychic abilities. Okay. He would bring to the lab sensitives he would meet around town, and together with them and Gaynor, they truly became Ghostbusters and claimed to have investigated some 500 haunted houses, haunted locations in Los Angeles. Okay. One of these became known as the Hollymont Drive Haunting. This was a house at 6221 Hollymont Drive in Hollywood in 1976. This was a three-story house that had a ton of your typical weird haunted house stuff was happening. But the most notable thing, this is like Nightmare Before Christmas sort of thing. The most notable thing I read that happened in there was a person was being chased by a cabbage with a butcher knife stuck (laughs) in it. It was Jim Henson's house? There was also a band playing. (laughs) Like, there were so many things. Nothing particularly notable came of this it was just like this flew this flew and then i was reading through the list of things they observed yeah and a cabbage with a butcher knife stuck in it was by far the highlight there i'm more scared of the cabbage than the knife <laughs> oh no what if i get to my mouth vitamin d <laughs> they even brought ktv to film stuff in the house on may 14th 1976 a la ghost watch yeah but the most famous and freakiest haunted investigation and this was what i was Woke up in the middle of the night, uh, sweating. Yes, yeah. th- this is this is what freaked me out on several nights of doing this research. The freakiest haunted investigation they were a part of centered around a woman named Doris Bither. Okay. Do you remember me telling you about this or no? I remember you telling me about this. I just don't remember what the story was. I you mean, will. I, okay. You do. You know it by another name. Okay. She was in her 30s with three sons and one daughter from four different fathers with no current man in the picture. She was an alcoholic. She had severe emotional problems and a past of abusive boyfriends and a rough childhood. Things had not been easy for Doris Bither, but it was the early 70s, so she was still able to buy a house in Culver City. Okay. In August 1974, she moved into 11547 Braddock Drive, and from the start, things were weird in this house. Okay. Shortly after moving in, an old woman knocked on her door and told her, you need to get out. (laughs) I used to live here in this old house back when it was just a farm and I was a little girl. There is something very evil here. This place is haunted and you need to get out. Who would listen to this? So she stayed there and sure enough, things started getting weird. It started with your typical haunted house stuff again. Cabbage with a butcher knife yeah, stuck in it. Boring. Oh, yeah. yawn. Yeah. I don't even jump out of bed for that. I don't even burn sage for that. <laughs> the cabbage tires itself out so fast. It's not like I had a lettuce <laughs> with a knife. That can go all night. Yeah. If there was like an eggplant with a knife yeah. in it, I'd move. I'd move. There's, you know, banging on walls. Things sure. were moving. Lights were flickering. Even family and friends who visited later said that they got very weird vibes from the place. Yeah. Then it moved on to sleep paralysis. And after that, things started getting physical. Okay. The children started being physically attacked. They'd be pushed and shoved and sometimes bitten and scratched by something unseen. Okay. One of the sons even almost had his arm broken. They started to gather that there seemed to be four distinct ghosts that were wreaking havoc in this house. Okay. One was just a harmless old man who the kids started calling Mr. Who's It, which I think is uh, (laughs) cute. cute and scary. Yeah. Who they believed was actually Doris's recently dead father. So they're like, they like, okay, he's, he's, he can stay. But the other three were not so nice. Doris started getting physically attacked and claimed that two of the ghosts would hold her down while the third would sexually assault her. Jesus. 
a very weird situation and something had to be done. But what do you do in that situation? By chance, Doris was in a bookstore by UCLA where Taff and Gaynor happened to be either giving a lecture or were just talking to people about haunted houses that they were investigating. And Doris went up to them and explained her situation and showed them she had welts and teeth marks on her body. Jesus. They eagerly took the case and invited her into Moss's paranormal lab where they analyzed her with Kirlian photography. They then took the investigation to the house itself where Taff and Gaynor spent 10 weeks trying to figure out what is going on here. Uh-huh. During this time... They saw a metal sheet fly off the cupboard. They saw balls of light flying past them. One time they heard a voice whisper to them, kiss me, kill me. And then a flower pot shot at them. Jesus. But the big event happened one night. There was a large crew. I think there was like a dozen people in the house to help it with the investigation this night. Nothing was appearing. So they had Doris. They all were in her bedroom. Yeah. They had Doris yell and scream at the ghost to show themselves. And after she did this, in the corner of the room, a smoky lime greenish figure started to appear. Oh my God. It was just the torso of a very muscular human-like body, but with no arms and no face. People started taking pictures, and after 15 seconds, it exploded into mist and was gone. Of course, the only thing that showed up in the pictures were some orbs. And in some of them, there was like a sheet of white fuzz where the figure was. Uh But this thing started being referred to as the entity. Now you Never know what like I'm, that. Now you know what I'm, do, I do. do you know what I'm talking, I do know about, what talking now, about? Yeah, which is a name you know because in 1978, Frank DeFilita wrote a book about this, and in 1982, they made a movie about it, which Thelma Loss hated because of the way it sensationalized the story. Sure. So this is the house from the entity. This is the story of it. Now, what exactly was going on in the Bither household? We really do not know. Yeah. Was this something paranormal? Was this something much more human and much more sad? We don't know. But after this investigation, Doris Bither moved to Texas, where she claimed to be pregnant with the child of the of the entity. <laughs> what this turned out to be was an ectopic pregnancy, which is, is that's I, I I don't really Melissa explained it to me. It's like when the egg is fertilized outside of the fetus or okay. something, so it ends in like you know it's like a a, a miscarriage. Like it, it was okay. she had. Something had happened, like okay. whether or not, you know, we don't know. So she moved to Texas. She claimed that uh, the ghost followed her there. She eventually moved back to California, but died sometime in 1999. Wow. We do not know what was going on there, but it was stories like this that the Thelma Moss Parapsychology Lab was involved with and the attention they got that led UCLA to closing the lab in 1978 and firing Thelma Moss. Jeez. Thelma Moss continued her research even after the firing until she died on February 1st, 1997. And I have no other way to wrap up these stories from UCLA other than to say, remember how the first story I told you was about some potatoes growing on a tree? <laughs> God, it, uh, it really got upsetting. <laughs> so enjoy. I hope you all have a spouse to wake you up when you're hyperventilating oh my tonight. God. And also, like we, we've talked about some upsetting stuff today. We just want to remind people that the suicide hotline, you yes. can just call 988. Help us out there if you need it because there's uh, yeah, we don't want that. No, we, we don't want that happening too. Yeah, the entity house was a story I've considered many times. But yes, I knew the nature of it, of the haunting, and it was something I was like, I don't want to even touch that. But yeah, th- but that it, like, I wanted to stay away from it. But that it was part of the Thelma Loss, Thelma Moss. The, there it is, Thelma Loss, the Thelma Moss lab. I couldn't not talk about it. No, and that's a big part of it too, especially if it's the end of her career at UCLA. Part, it, I mean, so many factors, but yeah. the fact that like. That this book came out. <laughs> God, I'm kind of very curious to read their books because mm-hmm. the, the auras sound incredibly interesting. It's interesting. Like, I, you know, as we all, I feel like we end all of these episodes with, I don't believe, you know, I don't believe any of this actually happened, but it's still freaking me out. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I, 
I, to coin a phrase, I want to believe. I want to believe. And a story about another disgraced uh, yeah. person in the, in the bowels of an institution. <laughs> I feel like the entity, how, well, the, the whole story with that and then the lady in San Pedro are so similar to each other. What, what, what is the, that house that, um, the, the, that we covered? In yeah, the in the South San Pedro but, episode. Right, right. I forgot her name, but basically like uh, haunting. Uh, there was an investigation team. They recognized that it was very haunted. She moved and the kind of ghost followed, followed her. her. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, like they made a point in a lot of these stories to point out like she had a lot of issues going on in her life. So right. like, I don't know what sure. was happening. Yeah. Like if, if this wasn't something paranormal, why didn't they call the cops sure but it's not just one person saying all oh, this is happening to me and the everyone believing saying it, her but yeah but like no, didn't she have weird. like investigation teams go over and also for 10 weeks for 10 weeks and identify things i don't know i don't know i have no idea but let's go there right now <laughs> knock on the door i heard a story about this old <laughs> house <laughs> Move. let me i demand that you let me in <laughs> um trick-or-treat so yeah those are uh those are this year's spooky stories i hope you enjoyed them <laughs> Sorry, old man Gonzalez just came I in. I just woke up right now. Um, <laughs> Greg was having a nightmare this whole time. And you were there. And you and were you're there. pointing to like all the torsos, disembodied torsos in the room. And you were there and you were there. So uh, before we get into a listener question, we're going to ask you to do one thing this uh, month. Mm-hmm. Here's what I want you to do. This holiday season, you're with your family. You love them. Love tell them, them you love them. And then tell them, if they're LA history lovers, tell them to listen to LA Meekly. Why not? Why not? Don't get into the discussion about world affairs. Get into the discussion. You can all be united in disliking LA Meekly. (laughs) That's what you can bond over. Yeah, you can bond over that. Yeah. Yeah. So now we have our listener question. This one is from our pal Dan O'Keefe on Instagram. What are neighborhoods in LA that feel the most LA and the least LA to you? And this Mm. is really tricky because- LA is so many different things, but I kind of have to go off of my uh, sphere of Los Angeles. Sure, sure. Do you want to tell both of our most LAs first and then do our least LAs first? Yeah. I mean, second. (laughs) Uh, How many firsts do you want to do? You know, I don't know if I I have a good answer for this. I don't know if mine are good either because it's really just my understanding or my experience of LA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like my understanding of LA, I'll say that Driving home from Culver City, or I mean, it's not my only time. When I've been haunting a particular house in Culver City. I feel like driving through Koreatown at night gives me a feeling of LA, unlike, I mean, I haven't been to a lot of cities in my life, which is why this question's so hard. <laughs> I feel like... Oh, come on. You've been to Fresno. It feels like uh, old LA, new LA, different classes of people in Los Angeles, different cultures. It's hard to pin down all what sort LA of is. mashing together in this kind of large square area. Right. I, I, I mean, I don't know, but just my understanding and having gone through there recently at a very slow pace, <laughs> say, <laughs> the I, 10 freeway. Yeah. The 10 freeway. I, I kind of just want to say Koreatown. That's what most LA to you. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. But my most, I, I mean, I, so for, for me, what feels most like my LA are more suburban Valley areas, like parts of Granada Hills and Lake Balboa. But I also feel like the areas that have old Hollywood 1920s types of houses, like Silver Lake and Echo Park feel very LA to me. And also like the suburban parts of Santa Monica near the arrow. Yeah. Those are the ones that kind of feel the most like this is what people think of LA. That's almost my, what I wanted to answer for Hancock Park and Los Feliz is like, this is what people maybe think of, old Hollywood houses 
Whoa. Phantom, Phantom is ready for this episode to be over. But like the Wilshire branch of, of Los Angeles Public Library, like off of Beverly, it, it's like kind of to me the only thing it can only exist in L.A., which I don't know if that's true or not. Well, you've been to Fresno. What is like? Yeah, you've been to Stockton. Oh, Phantom, no. Glorious cat just is splayed out on your table. Now. <laughs> and I'm holding him away from the stop recording button. He immediately got comfortable. <laughs> he went from like jumping off like what is like two and a half feet off the ground. And now he's just like, <laughs> he jumped <sighs> new track. And Phantom just stopped the recording. And, and Phantom just stopped so, the We rec- haven't had a curse on our uh, haunted episode in a while. And there Phantom is, no, is the curse. What What cat? I don't see a cat. Oh my God. Phantom. Oh my why are you God. turning? Phantom's a phantom driving through echo park recently. The house of spirits is now becoming a crossroads vintage store. Mm. If you remember the house of spirits near my house. Right. And just seeing the different, how the communities changed it. Like I almost out of spite want to say this is the least LA because it feels like, <laughs> but I, I just mean when I say echo park, I mean like the houses, the, like hou- the houses live. like Carroll street and all the streets like a, like near the park and, yeah, I know what you mean. Especially when you watch movies about LA, they will sometimes go to those streets that have the palm trees and have like, like, but yeah, old craftsman homes and stuff. And yeah, Echo Park, I, I, I almost out of spite want to say no and want to say it's the least LA, but it's just out of spite because I'm mad that so much has changed in my lifetime. Is that your choice for least LA? Out of pure out spite. Of pure spite. So yeah. interestingly, for my places that don't feel like LA, one I mean in a bad way, or two I mean in a bad yeah. way, and one I mean in a good way. So the bad in the bad ways, I want to say Century City and Woodland Hills do not yes. feel like Los Angeles because they're just big malls, which in a way is kind of Los Angeles, but not really. Century City, I would totally agree. I mean, parts of Woodland Hills maybe, but it still doesn't quite feel. Yeah, it 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 doesn't feel right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> but in a good way, I actually say Koreatown. Because it feels like an actual big city rather than the wide city. That yes. Like it feels so apart from what the rest of Los Angeles is. Right. That it doesn't feel like L.A. And I mean that in a good way. Sure. I mean, like Koreatown, we, I, I'm, you and I are probably both thinking about like large apartments. But I'm also thinking about like old buildings off people of. People out on the street. People out on the street. I'm thinking about craftsman homes that are from the 20s. I'm thinking about what's the um, ro- like the Rossmore Street looks like. I don't know. Like, yeah, it looks a little bit like San Francisco, but it there's something about the connectivity of things. I don't know. It, it feels like LA History Street, or LA is if LA History had an area, it'd be like either downtown, right. Little Los Angeles, or yeah, Little Los Angeles, <laughs> or Koreatown. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's your answer, Dan O'Keefe. It's kind of a bunch of shrugs. <laughs> it's kind of a we don't have a good answer. For yeah, it. here's your but answer. A, but we don't a, know. A great question. A hard question. If I didn't get it at like four hours ago, I would have gave you a better answer. So uh, that's our annual Haunted Creepy episode. Haunted Hanukkah to all of you. It's starting in a few days. Creepy Christmas, Christmas? to all of you. Yes. It's starting in a few days. If you want to know more about Hanukkah gout, you can listen to Candy is Dandy. <laughs> you can. You can we, I will, in, a, in about a week, you will hear the full story of Hanukkah gout. <laughs> and what better Christmas gift yeah, than that this than year? Than learning a little bit about. Hanukkah gal. Hanukkah gal. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Let us know if you got a nightmare. Yeah. And uh, that's been yet another episode of LA Meekly podcasting since 23rd Scream. Oh, you had one more in you. <laughs> uh, uh, maybe I should have asked Beetlejuice. Oh, oh no! no! He's hey, riffing. Hey, I'm riffing. Hey, baby. Oh, <laughs> mama. <laughs> that's my Beetlejuice. You're in, you're oh, Priscilla. <laughs> oh, you want to eat a Zagnut, Priscilla? Oh, mama. <laughs> Close enough. <laughs> I'm sure him stalking high schools was very uh, That'll do. Yeah, that'll, that'll do. That'll do. <laughs>